And now, Snickers Cruncher presents the granddaddy of them all, WrestleMania. Ask both of you guys this. Would you rather get hit with a clothesline from hell or watch a season of Mrs. Brown's Boys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. At least the clothesline from hell is out of the way quickly. Yeah. That's my, that's, that's my thought process. That's that's probably the right, yeah, that's probably the right answer there, yeah. I, I, I think whichever one you choose, you're going to end up vomiting blood, so... And welcome to the Random Wrestling Review, and today we are enjoying the party at the end of the Monday Night War as we tackle WrestleMania 17. And joining me today are two men that are no doubt in the party spirit for an episode I think it's fair to say we've probably all been looking forward to. Uh, First of all, we have a man who hasn't appeared on the show now for six weeks, six whole weeks, it is Tom Smith. That is disgraceful behaviour, if I may say so myself. What? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I have always find that expression odd, because you are saying it yourself, aren't you? Um, I, I've basically been off, I've had, the, I've had my school summer holidays, haven't I? Effectively, in March <laughs> and April, which is not, not ideal, really. But at the same time, yeah, it's lovely to be back. I've missed the show. And I was actually genuinely really gutted that I missed out on WrestleMania 15. But I was actually a little bit relieved when I found out that, oh, that was WrestleMania 16, wasn't it, with ICT, wasn't it? No, do you know what? I wasn't looking forward to WrestleMania 15. I'm glad I didn't do it. <laughs> I do, I do love the boys to men rendition of America the Beautiful at the beginning. So I'm, I'm sad I missed out on that. It's good to have you back. I mean, in, in fairness, Tom, our listeners will still feel like they've not missed you because the episode that goes out before this will be our bonus episode, which is the top five films starring wrestlers and about wrestlers. Now, we actually recorded that way back in January, but through the wonders of modern technology, we saved it up and put it in in April. So actually, our listeners would have heard you last week, so they'll just be sick of you already. But, you know, for us, it's, it's a nice novelty to have you back. So I wouldn't blame them. I'm sick of myself half the time as well, so I can't really blame them if they do feel that way. Well, I was just really trying to be nice anyway. I don't really feel that way. Um, Matt also <laughs> is on the show. The polar bear, the ever-present polar bear is here. I think you've only missed WrestleMania 4 so far on this series. Yep, the polar bear is here, ready, and I am fucking hyped up for this today. Let's do it. One out of ten, worst show ever. <laughs> what? 
Uh, no, of course I'm of course I'm joking because there are certain things that, about this podcast, certain reasons that you do a wrestling podcast in the first place, and it is exactly to talk about shows like this. So I think I'm worried this is going to be too much of a love-in, but you know who knows. So we'll see we'll see what we'll see what happens here. I I don't know if I'll be fully comfortable with a completely positive review, but we'll we will see. And that's fine. And don't worry. Like I said, they call me the polar bear. I'm sure I can provide some polarizing opinions throughout the show. Mm, okay, this will be interesting then. <laughs> we should go straight to our expectations. Now, I should let our listeners know at this point that Tom has frozen on us. His Wi-Fi connection has gone out. So he may not be here for the uh, expectations. I don't know. We'll see if he can get it, recover it all in time. Uh, and look at that. After six weeks of being out, he is immediately back out and, uh, <laughs> and gone again. Fucking cunting Wi-Fi in the <laughs> it's been absolutely shit recently before we go on to expectations i assume that's what we were going to do before yeah. i go i'd like to offer a quick follow-up on one of the conversations that happened on last show which is uh matt and steven's incorrect assumptions that old man's getting his bollocks out all the time <laughs> and i wanted to kind of add add a quick quick follow-up to that to say whilst he doesn't get naked as i think you'll know from living with him for two years and i've lived lived with him for about four years or a couple of different phases he will quite often sit around in communal spaces in just his pants um and he'll do that quite a lot even so when my then girlfriend now wife moved in with us she was still like why are you always in your pants <laughs> all the time and he ended up he ended up let's, let's say dressing a little less a little more modestly uh, in the times going forward so yeah i thought i'd just add that follow-up out there in case anybody anybody wondered what his actions are i mean i can dare say that me and tinky have not, maybe not seen his bollocks many terms or ever but i've seen his nipples an incredible amount <laughs> that's one for rockstar yeah i bet you love that oh god i can't can't imagine can't imagine it before we go any further as well i should also mention that the cold that i've had since about 1997 is still with me and that's a continuous cold that i've had since december a fact that as i said earlier we we recorded our our last bonus episode in january and i have the cold then and i've still got it now so i should make it clear i'm not feeling 100 percent. so hopefully we will get through this with the aid of tom and matt pretty much just filling in for me whenever i run out of steam to that end matt can you take over and tell us your expectations i can and if anything you're probably gonna have to tell me to shut up today because um this is the one that i've been waiting for I don't know how many episodes it is I've done um, at this point, but do you know what? This literally is for me. This is where the journey started. 2001, this was my very first WWE pay-per-view, WrestleMania 17. I am super excited. I was, you know, when I heard we were going to be doing it, I was super excited. Expectations were through the roof. I could still remember it exactly like it was yesterday. Honestly, God, I can't tell you how much I was looking forward to this. And honestly, like I said, my expectations, super high. I honestly cannot wait to get started talking about this show. Well, just to delay that start a little bit longer, I can confirm to you, Matt, that this is your 47th episode. Woo! Okay. After 47 episodes, this is, like I said, this is where it started. I, uh, I am. I'm hyped up for this this week. Let's do it. Wow. Never quite seen energy like that before. Certainly not on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. Um, My expectations are very, again, very high. I know this show is incredibly good. One of the, if not the best WrestleManias of all time, or probably wrestling shows. I I wasn't 100% familiar with all of the card this. Obviously, there are certain matches that I can remember really well. The Hardcore Triple Threat, the Battle Royal, the Gimmick Battle Royal, TLC2, obviously, Vince vs. Shane in the title match. But all the other matches, I was a little bit like, I couldn't remember what happened then. So I was quite intrigued to see what that it's got to be said though despite the fact that i know the inherent 
quality of the show that we're about to talk about and obviously kind of spoiler alert, i think it's quite safe to say that we're all going to be quite effusive about it i still was not massively enthused about going in to watch it though which is a little bit unusual because it's one that i'd circled in the calendar so to speak do you know what i mean a bit like, i'm really looking forward to it and when it came around to it, it wasn't and it was because my era my, my favorite era is done you know what i mean so it still didn't i didn't have that even though this is great i didn't have that warm fuzzy feeling which is what i think you've got matt going into the show because even though I was watching it at the time and was very much into it it's it's all i'm already kind of about 12 years into my wrestling odyssey at this point you know so it's yeah it's it's a little bit difficult but i was i was looking forward to it and i was looking forward to re-familiarizing myself with the matches i'm not too uh too um familiar with (laughs) (laughs) wow the poetry coming out there tom yeah Um, allow myself to introduce (laughs) Nice. <laughs> <laughs> my my expect my expectations for this were very high very looking forward to this really looking forward to this. i haven't watched it in a long time but it's always been the wrestling i consider to be the best and i guess watching all of these now is kind of like the final test as to whether i will consider it the best going forward because i'm never going to watch all these shows again there's, there's no way I, I, I think i've decided now you know we're nearly halfway through the wrestlemania series and we're not yet halfway through that's how how long this journey is still to go and i think given that we've been watching a wrestlemania every two weeks already for what nine months nearly now i think seven eight months more of that i will never watch wrestlemania again after this series other than new ones obviously i'll never go back and watch previous wrestlemanias again i don't think after this series because i'm just gonna be wrestling it out I, I reckon you will you'll, you'll be you'll be so you'll be, you'll be one day and it's difficult because you've got a, a kid now and i do but there'll be like a weekend like your wife and kid go if we can you'll get so cripplingly bored at one point you'll be like do you know what? i'm gonna watch wrestlemania 4 again <laughs> or something like that fancy some nostalgia again why not I can categorically say that we'll never watch wrestling before again. <laughs> you know, and also I think there's so much wrestling that I haven't watched that I will pick something else, even if it's from the same era, era as WrestleMania 4, it won't yeah. be WrestleMania 4 itself. Even if you want that fuzzy feeling. Yeah, well, I know it's not really a fuzzy feeling for me, Tom. It's not, it's not, it's not the same, that, that period, unfortunately. 94 is for you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, really looking forward to this, can't yeah. we? Um, <laughs> And and also looking forward to talking about it because as I watched it, there's just so much that came to mind in terms of things we could talk about. So we're going to go with talking points. And Tom, I'm going to start with you today because you haven't been here for six weeks. Um, so give us your mm-hmm. talking point for this one. All right. I've got a question to ask you and I'm hoping you both give me different answers. And I want I want to look at what your immediate reaction is. And that question is, should Stone Cold Steve Austin have turned heel at the end of this show? Matt? I think in hindsight, that's an easy question to answer. No. Yeah, unfortunately, Tom, we're going to agree. It's, it's a no from me too. Because I, what I wanted to do is I wanted you two to one of you two to try and convince me of your side of the argument. But since that's not going to happen, do you want me to try and to... convince you of something I don't believe in? Is that what you'd like me to do? <laughs> well, no, I was hoping you did believe it. But if you know, you, you're quite a convincing guy, Tinky. I'm sure you could. But um, no. <laughs> what do you think? It's really tough because. I think Austin does an amazing job in turning heel. I think he does. It's just in the wrong place. So I was kind of watching it and, and about like quite early in the match, Austin is much more vicious in it than he is before. And watching it in hindsight, you were like, oh, it's kind of obvious that he's turned heel. It's like when you notice when Bret Hart turns heel against Austin at WrestleMania 13, that he does it during a certain point in the match. Do you know what I mean? And you can kind of going back you can kind of point pinpoint it and you can really feel Austin's desperation as even a bit before it where you see him like looking in a mirror basically before he walks out and he looks fucking demonic almost in in the turn in the way of it and I think Austin does everything and, and Vincent Mann to be fair does everything he can to get himself over as a 
heel and the rock comes as an incredibly sympathetic baby face fighting against all the odds like phil collins and he basically just doesn't it just doesn't work mainly because of the location so i think the actual execution of it is done really well but because it's in texas so he's never going to get booed there the other thing that i will also point out which makes the decision wrong is ultimately people didn't weren't ready to boost and cost steve austin at that point and that's actually the bigger the bigger issue i think well i guess my point is it's so well done but it's, it's the right person in the wrong place at the wrong time and watching it again jr is absolutely phenomenal on commentary at this point as well and it's just a it's just a real shame that that it kind of didn't go on to be he, he was great as a heel and we we've watched um, some of the pay-per-views like No Mercy is the one that immediately springs to mind is one that we watched recently where he's a heel and he's playing it like a bit almost like comedic value but it's just a shame that if it was done like maybe a year or two later because obviously obviously Austin as well coming back off of a year of being out as well so people haven't really had that time to get cut, like used to him or sick of him or, or whatever so it's just a real shame that, that that opportunity to turn him heel wasn't done a little bit later in his career I know there wasn't too much of it left in, in all fairness afterwards but yeah it's just uh, it's it, I, I, it's done very well, but it's just all completely at the wrong time. So your your answer to that really is ultimately no, they shouldn't have done it, and maybe waited another year. Basically, yes. This yeah. wasn't the right place, and also they weren't ready for it anyway. Yeah. Matt, what do you think? Because obviously, Tom, you also commented on the fact that the heel turn on the night didn't work. It was You also then talked about how it didn't work after that in some ways. What do you think? First of all, on the night, and then after that point. On the night itself, no, it, it didn't work. There, there was little sparks in there that it looked like it could have, because there were some slight boos when Stone Cold struck hands with Vince. So it looked like it could have, but again, it, it was Texas. They wanted him to win the title. Like you said, he'd just come back from injury. So all you know, the recipe was there for him to be in massively cheered. So I, I don't think, it, it definitely didn't work on the night. So it was definitely the wrong time to do it. And it was damn sure the wrong place as well. I mean, why the hell choose it to do it in his home state? Just that, that was just the wrong call. It, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, like over the year. I mean, because like I said, again, th- this was my first year of watching. So I... I knew Stone Cold as a heel in some respect far more than I knew him as a babyface. And I do think there were some bright spots to this day. Stone Cold versus Kurt Angle is one of my favorite foods of all time. I think they had some absolute bangers together. Kurt was a great babyface to Stone Cold's really great heel. You know, the the two-man power trip when they beat the shit out of the Hardy Boys and Lita, that scars into my brain even to this day. I mean, some people don't like it because of the stuff with Lita, but Christ, did he get some heel heat for that? So over the year, I, like I said, there, there were some bright spots, but ultimately no, I, I don't, I think by the time he did eventually turn back, I don't think he was as popular as he was. And I mean, I get why he chose to do it, because realistically, who else was there for him to work with that, that was fresh and they hadn't done before, you know? Um, so I, I completely understand why, but yeah, it, it's something that just that didn't work i'm going to address a lot of that so first of all it doesn't work on the night obviously texas crowd is not willing to boo austin it's actually really interesting it's one of those moments that obviously there's been a lot of talk about wrestlemania 39 and cody Rhodes not beating roman reigns and people wanting that moment so much and then being really disappointed when they didn't get it this is a crowd that's so determined that they're going to have that moment that they don't even care that austin turned heel they're so determined they're going to get what they want that they're going to keep cheering for austin even when he even when he becomes friends with vince McMahon. it's really interesting i think it's, it's a sheer force of will the fans are like i don't care that's it i don't care austin's one that's all that matters i've got my moment they shouldn't have done it for me obviously on the night but also they shouldn't have done it at all mainly to the point you made at the end matt which is that austin was never as popular again if you I w- i'm not too long ago 
probably start of 2001 watched Raw Rumble 2002 and on on that show everything is exactly the same as it was at Raw Rumble 2000 almost exactly except all of the reactions to everybody is far more muted than they were in, in Raw Rumble 2000 because everyone's basically in the same spots again Austin's back as a baby face I mean Triple H is a baby face as well but there's there's loads and loads of parallels there's very similar positions lots of people are in and this in specifically the reaction to Austin still popular but it's not it's nowhere near the intensity it's just completely lost all that real like explosiveness and that is only as a consequence of him becoming a heel in the first place if he'd never done that maybe the crowd reactions would have been reduced by the time they did get to Royal Rumble 2002 in exactly the same way but that's the time when you turn him heel is when the crowd reactions are starting to wane a little bit I would say that I think I said this on the pod not too long ago as well that the 2001 that he has as a heel is one of his best years ever Austin creatively some of the stuff he did was fantastic the stuff with Angle not just as opponents but as, as allies as well and they're doing all their kind of humorous stuff on SmackDown and Raw was just brilliant. The match, obviously, with uh, Benoit and Jericho with Triple H Taurus Quad is, you know, a celebrated match of the time. Austin was just carrying the whole product for the invasion. I mean, he pr- pretty much carried the entire product. But that doesn't justify doing it. Just because it was a good quality doesn't justify business-wise doing this thing. It was the wrong decision. And Matt, to your point about who else he's going to work with, well, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle was a heel. He could have worked with him. Benoit was still there. Jericho was still there. They could have had these matches lined up. No, not only that, but don't forget, they just purchased WCW. They wanted a load of fresh new options. Well, there's a load of them there for you. There was plenty of they could still do as a babyface with Steve Austin. And to the WCW thing, that is another issue of this, is that turning Austin heel at a time when WCW are coming in, a WCW that you cannot convince this WWE audience can be a good set of babyfaces because you've just conditioned them for the last six years to hate WCW and everything it stands for. It's just not good timing. This is a time when Austin needs to be on Team WWF going into a, if, if the WCW are going to come. And, and, you know, I think at this point the plan was for them not to come, which maybe is why they went ahead with the Austin heel turn. But ultimately, just all the timing was wrong. WrestleMania 17 being in Texas, WCW just being bought, and Austin not yet in that position where people were like, we have to boo this guy. I don't like him anymore. You know, in the way Hogan was, for example, in 96 when he turned heel. And genuinely, you know, in the six months, to a year before that people have been booing him you know people had been booing him as a babyface so when he turned heel it was the right timing this this just wasn't yeah it's it's just a shame that it, it kind of went down in the way it did uh, but like you said Tinky, it's not not due to any effort on behalf of steve austin because he is brilliant he, he always was that's why he's the goat but yeah it just doesn't quite work does it there is one other thing that I, I will criticise Steve Austin for in terms of, maybe not Steve Austin, just everybody really for who was involved in this, which is that for me, they didn't do the groundwork either to explain why Austin had chosen Vince to, mm. to turn heel with. Like he could have turned against The Rock in a bad way using anybody you know he could have reached out to the undertaker and they could have formed an alliance against him you know why form an alliance with vince but the the other point further to what you say is that vince doesn't really do anything apart from pull the rock out you know from from underneath so that that's the only thing that really happens i guess the idea though is he arranged for the no disqualification yeah stipulation before the match as well so there's that part but you know so for me there needs to be more of an explanation as to why austin is willing to forgive the guy that he hates most in the world now i get it he's laid the groundwork for the heel turn 
prior to the show because he's mm. that that famous one-on-one interview where the two of them are with yeah. jim ross and he says i've got to beat you rock and i'll do anything basically he's basically telling him you know watch out because i'm gonna do whatever it takes to win this including the subtext is team up with Vince McMahon and and screw you over but i just feel that needed to be better explained i also think that in the follow-up to this wrestlemania more about austin needed to change so mm, i think it's I think it's fine to have kept him just with the black pants and everything, but the night after he should have come out and they should have done a callback to the night after WrestleMania 14, when Vince McMahon asked Austin, are you going to do things the easy way or the hard way? And Austin stunned Vince and then told the fans, asked the fans, if you want me to keep doing it the hard way, give me a hell yeah. And they just absolutely bellow out hell yeah. They should have done something similar to that, where Austin decides, says he's doing things the easy way now and he comes out in a suit. And not only that, but they should have had him not be confrontational. So when, for example, someone squared up to him, he should have had somebody else do his bidding in the, in the way that Austin, stone cold Austin, would never do. And it should all be in pursuit of the deal that he did with Vince, which is ultimately the deal he does with Vince is, look, Vince, I need you to help me win this match. And Vince saying, well, if you want me to do that, you have to do things my way. And that's that's how I, it should have been. That's how it should have been positioned for me. Other changes it could have made. He could have he could have shaved off the goatee. That'd have been a good one. <laughs> I, th- I don't think you want have... to take away from his general menace. You know, I, I think you want him in the ring to still look and feel as good as he ever did. So you don't want him to make okay. him feel suddenly sensible or anything. And that's not my point. I want him to change his character. I want him to I want him to have to suppress his own character because that's the deal he's made with Vince. Okay, can we make an agreement then that Vince makes uh, wants him to just maybe have a moustache? No. And, then, and also, maybe, maybe, drink, maybe he drinks red wine sensibly in the ring after a match. Because <laughs> what he does, he's like, first of like Vince is like, no more beer. God damn it. No more beer over my ring so he starts bringing out like wine boxes and then vince is like if you're gonna drink the wine i don't want red wine spilt all over my mat you gotta drink it sensibly and he starts like drinking wine sensibly maybe at like, a little table in the corner after the match <laughs> if, if he came out if he came out in a suit bloody hell that would have been fucking awesome if he that's did, what he should have done and, yeah. and you know what that's what he does like I, there's a i think it might it's either the night after wrestlemania 14 or the week after austin does come out in a suit yeah, yeah. and then rips it off and stuns vince yeah he, they should call back to it and Vince be like no you you have to wear the suit that's the deal we've done is yeah. you are now the corporate champion in the same way the rock was in end of 98 early 99 he should have become the corporate champion that Vince always wanted him to be and that would have been the real way to make him a heel but instead they just had him play the same character just be aligned to Vince which how can you how can you expect people to boo that character when that's what Austin has always done you know when he first became super popular he would stunner anybody like he didn't care he really stunned, he stunned Jim, Jim Ross and people loved it. He <laughs> oh God, he did. He beat the shit out of JR as well, didn't he? That is what they did after, of course, yes, what they did after WrestleMania 17 as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, they just think that there's a lot of ways in which they didn't. I feel like they tried to have their cake and eat it. They almost like they were like, we want Austin to turn heel, but Austin doesn't really want to change anything about a winning formula. At least at least at first. I think eventually he decided he needed to be funny and he needed to do stuff that would make him look a bit geeky. But initially it was, we're just fucking tough and we're going to beat the crap out of everybody. Do you think they wanted him to turn heel or do you think that Austin wants to turn heel in this instance? and he was so powerful that he was able to i don't think i don't think it was a one-way decision i'm sure everybody agreed to it yeah i mean the, the, the bit that gets me though is the fact that okay you know he turned heel they give it a go but then for me they kind of fucked up twice because you know they, they had the option with the alliance and everything to to make you know to keep him a baby face again they had it given to them on a silver platter you, you know they, they should have learned from that that oh we fucked up let's step away from it but know that you know they, in traditional wwe fashion they dug their fucking heels in and thought nope 
we're going to make it happen. And they did it again. That's the bit that, for me, is even more unforgivable. Because, like I said, because they had the chance to to correct their mistake and, and they chose not to. I think this hill turn is the reason why they never turned John Cena hill. Hmm. Interesting. I think they realised that this was such a bad idea in, in the in the long run. Like the business never recovered. Business has never recovered <laughs> since this heel turn. It, like this was the end of the boom period. Effectively, I mean, don't get me wrong. They were still doing massive numbers for a no, cu- good couple of years after this. But they were never quite as high as the numbers prior to this. They were never quite as big as the numbers prior to this. And I think when they had John Cena and they had, I guess, their new Hogan, they were like, "There's no way we're doing that again." There's absolutely no way we're, we're taking that risk again because it might pay off, but ultimately it might not. And John Cena's making us loads of money. Why would we mess with that? That's really interesting. I'd never thought of that. So the match itself, what do we think of that? Matt, why don't you tell us your sort of appraisal of the match? For me, this is the greatest WWE Championship match I've ever seen, bar none. This is as high as the bar's ever been set for me. It started off with a bang. You know, as soon as you know, Rock is posing on the turnbuckles, as soon as he jumps down, Steve Austin immediately fucking goes after him, which just shows straight off the bat how badly he wanted to win the championship. And the announcers did a great job of putting that over as well. And, and we've talked about it so many times before in the pod, but like, the, you know, the, there are times where you're watching the guys in the ring, the guys and the girls in the ring, and you could tell that Stone Cold wanted to win the match now they can put on a performance to entertain the fans and that's great but at the end of the day we we need to see how badly he wanted to win and from the start of the match right the way through to the end you could tell stone cold steve austin wanted more than anything to win the wwe championship and he did everything he possibly could to get it the, you know the, the match kept building you know but halfway through you know i was thinking my god they they were both battered and bloodied already don't call busting out the old million dollar dream was a fa- i thought was a fantastic callback you know the rock getting the sharpshooter on him and you know jr mentioning about the brett match and you know the blood running down his face again looked phenomenal you know steve was super aggressive pushing the you know don't get me wrong i know he might do occasional shit like that but pushing the ref and the timekeeper at the way and just his mannerisms were great even initially when vince came out you know i think people weren't quite sure what to make of it i mean vince definitely got booed but the sort of finishing sequence oh my god i I can't heap enough praise on what i think about the finishing sequence i mean let's just talk about the uh i got to mention the um the the stunner that stone cold hit towards the end which is the greatest near fall of a stunner i've ever seen i mean for a start the bump that the rock takes off the stunner is just bloody brilliant i mean he always does his you know flop like a fish i've always called it but my God, does he get some height on that. The way the Stone Cold went to get the cover on him. I mean, he literally dove, you know, onto the rock. And while he was diving, you could probably hear him thinking, this is it, I've got it. And he dove onto him to get that cover. When the rock kicked out, he had a shitload of cheers at that point. And at this point, the rock didn't have very many cheers throughout the majority of the match. So at that point, people were actually, I think, or at least more of them were behind him. Now, don't get me wrong, the crowd was still more for Steve, but they were behind him. Then the stuff with the chair, again, just Steve was doing everything he possibly could to try and get the win, which was fucking amazing. And then that that finish, just I just found it so realistic. Chair to the face, okay, he kicks out, you know, and the look in Stone Cold's eyes was, what the hell have I got to do? Well, so what does he do? Batters him with the chair. And I mean, batters him repeatedly with the chair to the point of he cannot get up anymore. He knows that, you know, one or two shots hasn't done it. So he literally was going to hit him repeatedly until he got 
the win. It was a fucking incredible finish. The drama of the match, I felt, peaked perfectly. I can still hear Paul Heyman and JR on commentary, which I will talk about throughout the show, I thought were fantastic. I can still hear JR in my head. What the hell is this? And then Paul Heyman, it's a new champion. It was fucking great. There has never been a WWE Championship match as good as this, in my opinion. Fucking amazing. So, so you went first then, Matt. <laughs> hmm. Tom. Um, I was watching something the other day, and it was uh, Alan Shearer was telling the story about when he got into punditry, and he said it used to be awful when he worked with Alan Hansen, because Alan Hansen would take all of his talking points. I can now relate to what Alan Shearer was saying <laughs> at that point. I can't. It's hard to kind of really say much more. Um, really, I I think it's absolutely phenomenal. A great match. You've just basically said everything. The desperation of Austin, the desperation to, to, to win the match. He's vicious. Um, as I said earlier, in terms of the sharpshooters, we've said this before. The Rock puts on an absolutely disgusting sharpshooter, but Austin puts on an absolute ripper of a sharpshooter, which is absolutely lovely to see. I was sat there thinking, I'm a Brett taught man do that i very had a little chat with brett about that and like the million dollar dream i loved that as well the slight kind of downside is is the bit when vince comes out because it's just abject confusion when he comes out from the crowd did it really get it and that's the one thing it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier but that, that does detract from the match a little bit but you nailed it on the head may when the rock kicks out after the chair shot and he's almost got the fans on side with him and that is absolutely superb work and the rock plays his role in this match absolutely perfect as a kind of underdog baby face to the dastardly heel Austin even though the even though the crowd are reacting the opposite way so it's quite quite an unusual match to watch and the kick out after that stunner and that flop sell from the rock the look of disbelief on Austin's face is absolutely he tells an entire story in just in that facial expression it's amazing JR as you said JR is amazing on commentary the bit where he says they may as well urinate on the rock is a wonderful (laughs) bit of commentary from JR and the only other thing that I've kind of got that I wanted to point out is that obviously the rock gets busted open after getting hit with one of the old monitors and i was like oh oh miss those monitors i miss those old monitors i hate these 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 microphones that look like breadsticks on the commentary desk or the lights or something like that that look like breadsticks and these ipads does my head in i just i want that big old bastard of a monitor for people to hit each other with but otherwise it's brilliant the other thing i didn't like about it is austin's disturbed theme song i'd right, give me his classic please oh but other than that no, very no. minor quibble <laughs> You don't like that theme. Nope, no. Nope. That's the best theme in wrestling history. No, Owen Hart's theme is the best theme in wrestling history. That, that, guess. No, that that Steve Austin deserves song is just, oh peak wrestling music. Love it. I'm not going to comment. I don't care enough. So. <laughs> For me, I think this is a great match, but I do think it is a little bit, a little bit sullied by the end. I do struggle with the end because I don't. It doesn't work. It it just doesn't work. And like you said, Tom, Vince doesn't really do much. Not in the match, anyway. Yes, he's arranged for it to be no disqualification. But in the match, what he does really is, he said, pull the rock out once and hand Austin the chair, and that's that's kind of it. Like it doesn't really do anything else. So it doesn't feel like there's enough reason for Austin to want Vince to be there and to do what he does. Like it doesn't get enough out of it he could have done everything he did without the man ever coming to the ring yeah for me the end is a little bit anticlimactic and also it's the heel ending again you know we've we spoke about triple h's heel ending last the previous year we've spoken a lot about roman reigns heel victory over cody Rhodes at the end of wrestlemania 39 that is again a problem for me and it as much as the fans as i said the fans were determined to have their moment 
they didn't get it, did they? They didn't get the moment. They didn't get the, the absolute euphoric, Austin's won the title again. Yes, thank God for that. The fans in the arena, at least. Didn't they? It's, no, I don't think so. I think I, I don't think it was as pure as pure adulation as it would have been had none of this heel stuff happened. If none of the heel stuff happened, it'd have been almost 100% everyone going bonkers. As it was, people were still trying to go bonkers, but they didn't, their heart wasn't in it. You know what I mean? They were just trying to force the issue. So I, I think that that does, does detract from it somewhat. And I said it when we did WrestleMania 15, I think the match at WrestleMania 15 is the most realized match between the two because of the end of this match. If this match had just finished in a clean way, for example, or the heel turn had been more effective, I would be saying this is by far and away a better match than that one. But it's just that end doesn't just doesn't do it any favors. And I it just distracts ever so slightly from it. It's a great match. The thing I love most about it, you, you, touched, but you touched upon it, Matt, was, you know, with Austin and the way he's showing he wanted to win. What I loved about what I loved about watching these two again, which I forgot, really, is just their interaction in the ring. Like the fact that you can see them mm. saying, oh, you motherfucker, like when they're kicking each other and stuff. And you're like, that's just great. That's what an actual fight would be like. These two people. People actually dislike each other and they want to win the match. And, and you're just like, these guys are in the moment. They are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're selling the idea that they want to win this match more than anything else. And they are focused 100% on that. It does take you away. It just takes you into that that moment. And you, you, you're you not thinking about it like a, a piece of art anymore. You're thinking about it like a sporting contest, which is the ultimate mm. point of all of this stuff. So loved it. Loved the, loved the action. It was a great match. Great, great match. It's just the end slightly dampened my enthusiasm for it i think these two are the is the perfect pairing in a ring i I can't think of any other set of wrestlers that have better chemistry with another person than these two i think they're absolutely wonderful in terms of their best match i really like their match at backlash after wrestlemania 15 i think that match is absolutely tremendous as well i mean that match is amazing as much as i do love this match it's certainly not perfect it's you know it's important to put that it's definitely not perfect and it's one of the things that i didn't realize at the time until i saw an interview with stone cold and he pointed it out i thought oh yeah fuck he's got a point you know where they had the sharpshooters on each other and they're getting rope breaks which you know no dq okay i mean again it's in hindsight you know it's only a small thing but it is still there you know so watching it back like at the time you know first time i saw it didn't realize didn't notice didn't care you know now it's like oh okay that's a little bit a little bit shitty but you know again like i said it's I mean, just, that, that, not to excuse me that shit happens all the time in no DQ matches, doesn't it? Like it would be, it'd be really weird if someone locked in a submission in the first five minutes of the match. And like, well, that's the end of the match then, because they can't get a root break. You know, I guess it's one of those things that happens, isn't it? And I bet if old man was here on the show, he'd be absolutely fuming about that. I tell you what, Tom, it wouldn't happen in a Brett match, would it? Let's be honest, Brett wouldn't be having absolutely not. So we've spent about forty minutes, a good forty minutes there, talking about the main event. Yeah, I, I did, I did warn my wife that this might be a long one today. So yeah, that I think it's going to prove the case so why don't we go to you matt your talking point my talking point is going to be surrounding the undertaker versus triple h match we're taking them from the top basically we're going from main event down at the moment yeah the, the, the reason i wanted to talk about this one is as well as we know now over the um you know over the last couple of years we've seen undertaker and triple h go one-on-one quite a fair few times but you know specifically in the latter part of both their careers so you know we'll eventually get to the wrestlemanias they had but wrestlemania 27 and 28 uh taking triple h had matches now because those ones are far more recent they were far fresher in my mind than this one i remember all of them being very good but when we were talking about you know expectations for this show i was a little bit worried that this match wasn't gonna hold up 
and wasn't going to be as good as the latter matches were. Now, I was actually pleasantly surprised. Not only did I feel that it, it held up and is a fantastic match, but it's very different as well. It's a hell of a lot different to the matches they had later in the career. Part of the reason that, that it was really different is what I've noticed a lot of what seems to have been the, the sort of Attitude Era type style of like this brawling in the crowd, which, God, you just don't see it today. They just don't do that type of, you know, mass brawling into the crowd that much. Now, I'll get the shitty part out of the way. All right. My Kyoto played dead for probably what was about a thousand years <laughs> in terms of time, which, all right, okay, is really had to suspend your disbelief on that one. But this, I mean, this was like a bloody great brawl and you know specifically for me at the time of the people i knew who did like wrestling these two more so than even stone cold and the rock were two of the coolest characters and i've said it before and i know, I know you guys don't agree, uh, don't agree but this for me is peak undertaker this guy is the coolest fucking character ever he looks like he will beat the shit out of you he looks like a tough American biker. That is a character that I can buy into, and I did in this match specifically. Like I said, the brawl into the crowd was amazing. The the choke slam off of the the staging area. They fair play to them. They did some cracking camera work with that to to really not show where he did land and you know that it you know didn't look soft or anything like that. Um, Triple H got some fantastic heel heat. Where you know just breaking the shit out of the chair over Taker up there. When they got back to the ring, you know, in fact, you know, throughout the match, Taker is even beating the ref up itself at one point, you know, because damn it, he's a tough guy. The sledgehammer shot that Triple H had Undertaker with when he went for the last ride was amazing. The last ride, is when it's done properly, my God, I think that's such an amazing looking finisher. And that finish with, um, you know, Taker getting the last ride on Triple H was just amazing. The, the way he hit it, the crowd went absolutely mental for it. This match was bloody brilliant. And like I said, it, it really was a hell of a lot different than the matches they had years later. So I, I really, really enjoyed this one. And I was really pleasantly surprised that it was as as good as I remembered. I, his match was better, much better than I thought it was going to be. I was expecting this to be really dull and really long because I couldn't remember. I can remember them fighting through the crowd and the bits where they were fighting up by what I can assume was like the sound desk or whatever. But I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. And do you know what? They fucking got me. These fucking cunts got me. Because when Triple H hit Undertaker on the head with the sledgehammer when he was in the last ride, I was like, oh yeah, that's how this match ends. And then it didn't. And I was like, it's the fucking streak, you idiot. Yeah. I was watching it and I was like, but they genuinely, they got me. They fucking got me. Even though I knew the Undertaker won, it was still in my head. And I, and I was thinking to myself at the time, I was like, this is a very healy pay-per-view actually. Because there's lots of heel victories on this, which I guess we'll talk about later. But um, they, yeah, they fucking completely got me. You, you're right about the last ride is amazing what is amazing is the choke slam that undertaker hits on triple h off of the like that that stage that that's the sound desk or whatever because he holds triple h up as high as he possibly can for as long as he possibly can and really drives him down now i know he lands on like a mattress or something like that, but it looks amazing because they show it from a wide angle so you don't see where he lands and it, it looks absolutely outstanding i always uh rue the missed opportunity with motorhead playing triple h out and limp biscuit not playing the undertaker out which would have been absolutely amazing um and then i ended up going on a bit of a deep dive um, to try and find out if Motorhead ever played any of Triple H's songs 
at any of their gigs. So I went on to setlist.com and looked at the last 20 gigs that they did. And no, I couldn't see it anywhere. <laughs> Not really surprised. I'm sure they probably played the game a couple of times because it did it did breach into... You, you still hear Pop that, base, uh, baseball yeah, yeah. games. In fact, Bristol Rovers uh, came out yeah. once or twice. Like, so it was like quite a big deal at one point, but yeah, I doubt but they played the others. No, but they didn't, they didn't play a game from what I could... And I looked across at various, at various gigs from... I think it was like the last 20 they did before obviously Lemmy died and I also looked at various dates between 2001 and you know up to 2020 I think it was when he died so yeah it was disappointing and as much as I hate Kid Rock I much preferred the American Badass song with the Metallica Sandman True riff to Rollin' by Limp Bizkit as the Undertaker's entrance music personal preference but that's it but this match was a lot lot more enjoyable than I thought Triple H's selling is great his hair is everywhere I mean his hair is probably the best part about his selling because he just the way he flicks around he, he uses Timothy, I think, because it's, it's absolutely <laughs> glorious and wavy and lots of violence and aggression towards the WWF st- staff, which I thought was a little bit cruel because um, I think uh, at one point, maybe one of the, the timekeeper gets punched by Triple H as well, <laughs> along with Mike Hewitt and just getting his shit kicked out of him. But I thought it was really good. The, the bit, like you said, when Triple H beats uh Taker with a chair to death almost. It's ridiculous and it's just great. The only thing I did think of was that the Undertaker's come off the scaffolding with an elbow drop, which I've seen already in this show by a relative of his. Um, and I was like, they must have been practicing that together. Maybe that was something their father, Paul Bearer, taught them how to do. But yeah, it was good. And like I said, the cunt's got me. So I'm going to give this a very strong good. Very strong good is probably where I where I sit on it as well. Unlike you, I had remembered, the, the main spot I remembered was the sledgehammer shot with and the false finish. That was the main thing I remembered. And the chokeslam off the scaffolding, which I don't share your enthusiasm for because I gr- grant you that they did well when they first showed it. But then they showed some replays where it was clear that they landed on the duvet or whatever it was. And and uh, it's been like, you didn't, you didn't really need to leave that replay in, did you? You could have just done it from the same angle as before or another obscured angle. But no, you've shown us now that they did land on a big old airbed. So, yeah, don't quite share your views as for that. The match is really good, though. It is really, really good. They they do a great job here. In, in For me, this might be the end of Triple H's. Let me rephrase. This will be the last WrestleMania for me where Triple H is in his prime. So after this point, he's not, for me, ever as good again. His 2000 is an absolute standout year, stellar year of in-ring work. You're absolutely phenomenal. I don't think he ever hit those heights again. Occasionally, he did really, you had some really great matches. But I don't, again, Matt, I don't show your enthusiasm for the later Triple H Undertaker matches, Specifically, WrestleMania 27, I thought was absolutely desperately dull. But maybe I'll f- feel differently when we see it again in this series. But yeah, I really like. I've always really liked this match. And for me, it was other than the Undertaker's debut as the American Badass, the one good thing that the Undertaker did as the American Badass was this match. And I, I can see what you're saying about the character. For me, it just felt like Mark Calloway playing himself exactly himself though not even a ramped up version of himself just oh this is what i do is i go out on my bike and i listen to largely samey rock music actually for me the rolling theme doesn't fit the character because i don't think an, a wizened old hell's angel would have liked limp biscuit at the time personally i think that would have been a bit like oh they're a bit pop aren't they limp biscuit um so i didn't think it really fit him to be honest and i just yeah i just don't think i just didn't like it and plus it was also 
at his most selfish as a, as a performer yeah. during this period. That's the other thing that's hard for me to not focus on. He just w- didn't give anything to anybody. He was desperately selfish when it came to the stuff of the WCW guys later in the year, to the point where they had to bring his best mates in just so he could have someone to work with. And they were so shit that they got sacked within a month. Like he just, he was just not coming across well at all to me at this time. And he felt like a forgotten man. Like he'd come back at Judgment Day previous year and after that hung around doing pretty much nothing the the feud that they gave him for wrestlemania was with triple h they had two weeks of build because they just didn't have they didn't really it wasn't in their thoughts it just wasn't they weren't planning stuff for him because he just wasn't an interesting character it just what just didn't work i mean i think again i've said this before as well it did get better in like 2002 at times i think stuff some of the stuff we did with lesnar for example i think a lot of people think is really good but that was after i was in university and couldn't watch anymore so at that point I, i'd already written them off as, as, a, as a character i was interested in in all fairness to you guys i mean i i'll totally admit that there is a degree of bias when it comes to specifically this time period for me because again it's it was my childhood so going back and watching this from the start there definitely is a degree of bias but i, I can't in fact you know re-watching this probably the biggest pop of the night for me and i mean i did scream and shout fuck yeah <laughs> this when taker came out to limp biscuit rolling and they didn't dub the damn thing and it yeah. was the actual <laughs> song i was so happy i mean that's just such a i just love that entrance and this one in particular for him to come down on his bike you know it's one of those where he's tried in the past like sometimes to go down on the bike and he can't go as fast because the ramp's not that big this time he could and it just it just, just comes across as such badass I, I love it yeah that was actually quite a big relief for me as well actually <laughs> to hear to hear that it wasn't dubbed over because there was originally because I'd forgotten that they did the dead man like gong at the beginning and I was like oh they've put in the shitty like dead yeah. man walking and I was like ugh but no they didn't so Govern England. <laughs> so my talking point is going to be, and yes, we're still on talking points an hour into the show. <laughs> my talking point is going to be Chris Benoit versus Kurt Angle. Mm. And the reason I'm going for this one is that this has always been a match that I've thought of as being slightly overrated. I remember, and, and maybe unfairly, because I base this mainly on the fact that I remember seeing a top 10 list of WrestleMania matches that WWE put together, and it must have been about 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. And Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit was number six or something of all time and i'm like it's lucky if it gets number six on the show let alone of all time yeah i've always seen it as being a bit overrated and i still think if if anyone holds this in really high high esteem as if it's like some kind of classic i still think it is overrated but i've never appreciated it more than i did this time because what i realized what they did was actually perfect for this show so their match is scheduled after the first four contests it's 15 minutes in length and they have still got all the big matches to come. You've still got the TLC match, still got the Maman, Shane and Vince match. You've still got the two matches we've just discussed. They can't put on the best match that they possibly could put, put on here. They would be doing a disservice to everybody else if they did the best match they could put on here. And they have the humility and probably the orders as well, I'm sure. But the humility to go out there and just have a decent match when they know they're capable of so much more. They also know that this isn't the end of their feud. They know that they're going to be wrestling for the next couple of months in, in matches and they're going to have better matches than this. So they're just going out there. They have a very decent match. It takes the, sh- the show up a notch from what we've had before. 
but it doesn't take it up so much that no one can follow it and that they that, that i mean i'm not saying no one can follow it but if they'd have put on the best match they could have possibly had i don't think the rest of the show would have worked quite so well and for me it was indicative of the whole pacing and order of this show i think they get the order of this show absolutely spot on perfect i think this is as perfect a ordering of matches that you can get in terms of bringing the crowd up bringing them down not taking them too on too many highs too early even following up the tlc2 match with the gimmick battle royal i think is absolutely spot on either the crowd needed to you know chill out after that tlc2 match or they needed a different kind of enthusiasm which is that kind of nostalgia that they get from the gimmick battle royal they needed something and they got it and that allowed everybody just to take a breather and then come back come on back for the undertaker triple h and austin versus the rock which are the two biggest matches of the night but the kurt angle benoit match for me really typified the pacing of the show because as i say they could have gone far better than they did it's a good decent match but i think in for example we've Steve Stevens talked about this as well himself. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, if they're in, a, if they're on a show on AEW and they're not in the main event, they tend to be in the first hour and they still try and put on a five star match every time. Mm. For me, that's not the name of the game. You are in. This is not just about you and your match. You're not supposed to always go out there and have the absolute best match because something's got to follow you, and there are things that are more important that this show has been sold on. So if you overshadow the stuff that people have, have bought this show for, they start to question whatever they should have done or whether it was a disappointment because that match is you know perhaps in the shade because of something you've you've had before they do exactly what they should do and i think that's why this match deserves credit is that it doesn't it isn't as good as they could make it and therefore it makes the rest of the show work perfectly i thought this match was really good but the one thing that i will so comment on it i think right at the beginning they do loads and loads of wrestling wrestling which i think works for um the sake of the characters and for what you said then tinky about trying to bring the crowd you know get them ready basically for the next match that's come i think it goes off for a little bit too long though because i think the fans start being like well they're actually going to have a you know a match the normal normal sort of match then is it or are they going to be doing this a bit and they after all their wrestling wrestling bits they must be absolutely fucking knackered and the thing that i did love about it and i've definitely said this before i hate it when there is a period of like chain wrestling like that where they're kind of people are reversing each other's holds and not getting it and then they do like a pose at the end of it and they just like soak in the adoration they didn't do that they look visibly frustrated at not being able to get the better of the person they're trying to beat um and i thought that was really really good the chops in this match are just they're not they're, they don't make the normal chop noise they thud and it's absolutely brutal and the, the bit that is absolutely horrendous in this is when Kurt Angle does the moonsault onto Benoit's knees because I'm like I was watching and I was like that genuinely looks like that's a couple of broken ribs at very least winded so I was like oof that looks fucking agony but I, I enjoyed this match more than I did I love their match they have at Royal Rumble 2003 where both of them are more established as main event stars at that point but for a mid-card match on a WrestleMania this match was very very good and I liked Angle winning with grabbing the tights as well it meant that he got the upper hand and kept Benoit strong because he was cheated out of the victory 
I'm going to be in agreement with pretty much most of, of what you guys said there. Um, yeah, th- th- this was a really good match, you know, especially for the time that they had. But by the end of it, it was almost like I was left wanting more. I'd much rather be left wanting more than them overstaying their welcome. So that that was certainly a good thing. Yeah, they they, they tried the you know the, the chain wrestling at the start, which I got to be honest, it, it surprised me how much the crowd actually seemed quite into that. You know, normally I think when you get that type of thing, sometimes the people will boo, but the, they seemed to enjoy it and were interested in it. So, so that was good to see. And the early part of the match was obviously, you know, Benoit trying to prove that he could out-wrestle Kurt. And, you know, then all of a sudden, Kurt gets pissed off and just decks him. And I was like, wow. <laughs> that really, like, signified, you know, the, the change of pace straight away. And I was like, oh, right, shit, okay, here we go. And it was really hard-hitting. You know, like you said, Tom, you know, the, the chops were bloody brutal. You know, the, the suplexes were brutal. You know, Benoit's Germans were, were always look great. You know, he has a great snap suplex. The crippler cross race, like, for me, is one of the most devastating and cool looking submissions. Mainly, I gotta be honest, I think when when Benoit would ever put it on, and I'll, I'll do the old disclaimer here for me praising, putting fucking praise on Benoit. You, you know, I'm just talking about the performance, blah, 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 end of. But the, the crippler crossface, when Benoit put it on, my God, it looked devastating. It really did look like the most painful thing imaginable. And yeah, for, you know, for uh, Kurt to cheat to get the win was great. I definitely felt that it was the right guy winning at this point. And yeah, like we said, you know, for, for about 15 minutes, you know, this was really really good it was, it was actually better than i thought i you know i re, you know i remember the show very well and i i remember thinking that this was a you know a good match and it was really good i really like matches where there's an attempt by the heel to wrestle and then they get mm. out wrestled and then they they go against it it's why i'm a big fan there's a the, the match that began bruno sammartino and larry zavisco's feud is that effectively so larry zavisco had been sammartino's protege for years on screen and then larry zavisco challenges bruno and says you know i've always been in your shadow i would like to would like to face you they face each other in a tv match bruno sammartino tells him i'm not going to try and beat you but i will i will defend myself they have a wrestling based match which bruno never used to do in his big matches he used to be a brawler but they have a wrestling based match and he just completely outclasses Larry Zbysko and then Zbysko just gets in the ring with a chair and smashes it over Sam Martino's head and it's just a, a really amazing really well told match so it's not quite like this as you might imagine but it's it's a similar idea where basically the heel gets out wrestled and gets frustrated and then just and snaps and does so and and go and perhaps goes into a mode that either they're not expected to or they're not you know not, they shouldn't do or whatever so yeah I, I, re- I re- always re- always really appreciate that that kind of um story in a match because it's just it's just basic and it's simple and it lives up to the idea that the heel isn't as good as the baby face and this is something i think i really think needs to be re-established in pro wrestling is the heel isn't as good as the baby face that's why they're a heel they have to be a heel in order to compete with the baby face if they weren't a heel and they weren't cheating they wouldn't be able to that's the whole point of a heel so that's what i really like about it tiki can i interest you in bret hart versus owen hart at wrestlemania 10 <laughs> you can always well. interest me in that as you know you can always interest the same me. same thing same thing happens in that doesn't it similar similar but they keep the wrestling for a lot lot longer um i think they go back to the wrestling as well in that one whereas this is kind of they grow graduate from wrestling very very explicitly into a kind of more of a pro wrestling match rather than amateur wrestling match 
so that's all the talking points i'm I'm tempted to just keep going for a little bit longer just because i think we are going to end up going an hour and a half uh, sorry we are going to end up going most of the three hours and we're not yet an hour and a half in which is going to be about the halfway point so let's go all the way back to the beginning of the show shall we because we've got freddie blassie once again on voiceover duties for the intro i I didn't know if this was the original audio or not but my way remains in this bit so i assumed it was yeah and i noticed there was freddie blassie and i was like bloody hell they're he's earning it he's earning this couple of bob isn't he? um to get their money's worth out of all classy freddie in this on my way by old uh, soggy biscuit that is the perfect perfect song for this pay-per-view i love it i think it, it might just be because i'm so associated with this but the tone of that song just fits with this so well and i'm sure we'll talk about the my way video segment before that happens before the main event but i think it's um an absolutely inspired choice to have that song as the main thing for us i mean it's 17 at, at the time I and mean, it's not like i'm a big fan of theirs at all now but at the time i really disliked limp biscuit and you did and i really liked limp biscuit yeah yeah and i remember yeah rolling was number one there's all kinds of stuff going on but then this song became part of this feud and i was like okay well fair enough they've done that now that's fine <laughs> i love them yeah Limp Bizkit, awesome every song my, they've done love them. my my thing was that they couldn't at this time they couldn't write a song that wasn't a cover so i was like well first of all they did the mission impossible song Then they did Rollin', which is just, you know. Keep rolling, rolling, rolling. Though the streams are swollen. Keep them doggies rolling. And then, and then they did My Way, which is just Frank Sinatra's song. And more, much more than this. I did it my Um, so basically, they, they they basically couldn't write an original song if, it, if they if they tried. But let's go over the fact that none of those are covers. You've got the actual the only cover that they did do, which is they covered Faith by George Michael on their oh, first great. album, which is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, well, anyway, as I said, I'm not a fan of Limp Bizkit. I'm not, I, don't, I don't dislike them, but I did dislike them a lot at the time. It's, it's fine. I just It just wasn't for me. It wasn't my kind of thing. Then we get the first view of the stadium. Mm. And for me, this is a marked moment of change in the way WrestleMania looks. Like, it instantly looks plush and important and grand. And you're like, wow, there there's WrestleMania. And we've danced around it a bit. At various times during this series, a couple of times, it really doesn't look like WrestleMania. I think for me personally, WrestleMania 11 in particular stood out as just not looking at all like WrestleMania. And WrestleMania 3 is obviously massive and, and you know, in a huge, huge uh, a stadium. But this is the first time it looks like modern WrestleMania, where you're outside, there's a huge crowd, there's a big old fuck off massive set 
entrance way like it just it looks magnificent so it was really like that was a real thing for me it hit me i was like okay settle down but we've arrived at wrestlemania in terms of the the big wrestlemania you know and it's also worth saying this is the first wrestlemania that hit a million pay-per-view buys so no no prior wrestlemania had done that and and this and this kind of visual at the start kind of tells you this is this is big yeah i agree it looks amazing a worldwide celebration is what freddie blassie said when he started and it is because it is the end of the monday night war as well they're celebrating winning the monday night war here that's another really significant part of this is that literally when they obviously when they set this up when they organized to be at the astrodome they didn't know that that was going to be the case when they started planning towards austin and rock they didn't know that by this point they'd have bought wcw a week before but that's also really really significant and it makes the whole thing just feel like a a, a real celebration i don't think I, I genuinely believe this is the peak potentially this is you could be argued this is the peak of the company this could, one night yeah could they have used celebrate by calling the gang as their uh, you know as their as a thing i mean my way is great obviously but that would have worked well wouldn't it yeah i was gonna say celebrate by madonna but it's actually holiday isn't it yeah, yeah so we won't, we won't use that one but yeah you celebrate by calling the gang we've then got a shot of wwf new york which i we have been to tom i don't know i haven't been i've been to to new york you saw someone who apparently looked an awful lot like me in new york i seem to remember you telling me but i was not there now we went we went in 2001 just shortly after this may it would have been it was a couple of months before the uh, the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, which we had gone to the top of, by the way. And all I remember, the main thing that sticks in my mind about that holiday to New York, or it was a school trip to New York, in fact, was uh, two songs that were out at the time in particular. The first being the Moulin Rouge song okay. <laughs> with uh, Christine Aguilera and the other three. Pink, Little yeah. Pink, Maya, and Mia, Mia and uh, Lil' Kim, yeah. Best bit about that song is they have their bits where they all do their ad-libs. But obviously Lil Kim doesn't sing, so she just goes. <laughs> yeah, just does a little grunt. Of course, that song also featured Missy Elliott, oh. and that was the other song at the time that was out, out around was "Get Your Freak On" by Missy Elliott, which is an absolute classic, and I love it. So I've got to pull you up. Then sorry, it doesn't actually feature Missy Elliott. She's in the music video, and that's it. Come on, that's that that that's splitting hairs. Have I heard anything? I no. hate that. Oh, no, it's not. She does. She, well, Oh, shut up, Matt. Missy Elliott's an icon. Um, no, but no, the, yeah. no, she's not. But the, yeah, no, she, she's just in the video. But that, that's it. She's not actually on the song at all. She doesn't contribute to the song. It's produced by Rock Wilder. And uh, all yeah. Right. Well, who, all right. Well, she's in the video then. Whatever. It was it was a nice segue between the two songs, Tom, and you ruined it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You ruined it. Plus, plus Matt ruined it with his interjection interjections of of I don't know what. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. Classic song. Absolutely loved it, and uh, still love it to this day. Then we get our commentators for the night, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman a wildly celebrated pairing that actually in the WWE only lasted about six, seven, eight months maybe from just before this WrestleMania to the Survivor Series. And this has obviously come about because whilst all, all the stuff was going on with WWF buying WCW, ECW had run into bankruptcy and was also closing. So the this is another reason why this was such a significant night. And I was saying this might be the biggest, the peak of the, the company in terms of popularity, in terms of happiness, I guess, within the, the corporate structure, if you like, of the company, because they were on top of the world. After this, Austin turning heel was kind of like the, the three or four shots that they did at the end of the night that meant that they then suffered a horrendous hangover for the next three or four years chundered in the cab got a 50 quid fine you know all that yeah. stuff it all, all fell apart after that 
Yeah, Jim Ross and Paul Heyman. Matt, I'm assuming that you're going to say that this is incredible, which which is. They're, they're a great pair. They, they, yeah, they, they really are. Um, you know, Paul Heyman's been on record for saying that, you know, he, he'd purposely try and go after JR to, you know, to really piss him off. And you could tell because <laughs> they probably did. And it just, it did work. They were just, they were a really effective team. He was great at being the heel and JR was great at being the baby face. And they, they were a really, really good commentary team. It's, it's a shame they weren't, uh, you know, on the broadcast team a lot longer than they were but things that what was so good about paul heyman is that he does lean towards the heels but he does the jesse ventura thing and that he gives credit where credit's due to the baby faces if they have to and he will also if uh, if he does something incredibly despicable he will defend them up to a point and then back down and uh yeah he's wonderful it's not quite the great commentary team that never was because as tinky said they were together for about you know six to eight months or something like that but it's the great commentary run that never was i suppose you think of you know jesse and Jesse and Gorilla, you think of JR and Jim Ross, you think of, you know, any any other number of commentary kind of tandems and it just feels like it's, it's a great shame they never got longer, to, or it's a shame for us, definitely, that we never got to hear longer. I don't think JR would have coped being sat next to Paul Heyman for a significantly long long amount of time because I think he would have killed him, but um, they, they are absolutely, absolutely wonderful together and you're right Matt, he does press all the right buttons on JR to get the best out of him. It's like he's producing him from the sidelines and it's, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful, a wonderful thing to listen to i don't think jim ross could have coped but i also don't think paul Heyman would have wanted to carry on doing it for long term it's too many other things that he wants to do and he's too he's got too much kind of creative stuff going on in his mind to just stick to being the color commentator it's just not it's just not the role for paul Heyman for me he's he's, he's more valuable if you like than a color commentator yeah. so we'll do one more match which is the first of the night chris jericho versus william regal seven and a half minute match which ends when jericho rams regal's head into an, the exposed turnbuckle that regal had earlier exposed hits a suplex and a lion salt and gets the pin tom what did you think of this match i quite enjoyed this match um it's not a match that i was massively familiar with but going into it i was quite looking forward to it because as we've been doing this podcast i've grown a much higher appreciation from william regal than i previously did so i was like well jericho Jericho can be hit or miss, but he's usually all right at the very at, at worst, you know. So I thought it was really good. Regal's chest is so brutally red after about 30 seconds of this match. <laughs> I felt quite bad for him. But I really like the fact that Jericho kind of has a shoulder injury and Regal targets it immediately. And that means that he can't put on the walls of Jericho because his shoulder is hurting too much. The aforementioned well, last week, actually, we haven't mentioned it on the show yet, but Tim White is the referee. And I love the way JR says, Tim Awahat as his name. It's it's a wonderful pronunciation. He really goes overboard with it. And yeah, it's really, I really liked it. And I love the fact that Jericho won with the Lion Salt, a way to kind of prove that he could finish the match without having to rely on the walls of Jericho that he couldn't use. So um, yeah, I thought this match was a really, a, a fine opener. There's also a lovely released German suplex by uh, William Regal on, uh, on Jericho, which is a highlight. So yeah, overall, good match. Good start to the show. More of the same, please. Barman. Yeah, to be honest, almost identical to, to, to be honest. Um, it's similar sort of thing. I mean, yeah, Regal's chest was bloody red as hell, fairly frigging quick. <laughs> Sorry for the poor guy. I mean, the, the one thing that I totally forgot that uh, Regal used, you know, the, the Regal stretch for a while. So, you know, it was like a modified STF. And I was thinking, hang on, 
So this is what John Cena should should have been doing all these years. So I did kind of think, wow, okay, that's kind of interesting. Maybe maybe they should have had Regal teach Cena how to do it, but never mind. Yeah, uh, Regal targeting, you know, Jericho's uh, shoulder was good. Uh, you know, to try and get the Regal stretch, that was cool. I did have a bit of a chuckle at the finish. I must admit, it, it looked like William Regal was out of place. I think Jericho was a bit pissed off with that, so he's like, oh shit, hang on, pick him up, quick standing vertical suplex. Hey, he's back in position. Lion salt. <laughs> so. That did make me laugh a bit, but yeah, it was definitely an interesting finish. It was, it was, de- it was probably better than the walls and something a little bit different. Yeah, I, to be honest, I actually would have expected a little bit more of these two, but it was fine. Good, good little opener. I'm, I'm the opposite to you, Matt. I didn't expect very much from this. I remember a number of matches at this period where Regal just seemed awkward. His style just was a bit weird for WWE at the time. WWE are not a wrestling promotion, uh, never have been really. And I said before, you need to be able to punch in the WWE and Regal can't punch he can chop he can't really punch he can do the, he can do an uppercut he can do the European uppercut but he can't actually punch and Jericho can't either so I remember previously this being a match where I was like this is a bit awkward actually this is fine this is pretty decent um, I thought it was quite a WCW style match actually a sort of mid 90s WCW style match which I, I which I quite liked and I think it's a really underrated part of this show is the variety that exists on it, it the variety is another part of that overall what makes this show really special is just the variety the different types of wrestling the different not just the different types of wrestling but the different type of matches you know the singles matches there's six man tag matches there's there's tag team matches there's three way tag team matches there's a battle royal they're doing lots of different stuff they're not just hitting you with one on one one on one one on one you know which they they would become I think quite guilty of at times in the, in the future and they didn't do that here they just they kept it really varied and exciting and so this is a good that's, way to start that's a really good point actually i hadn't really thought about that but you're right there's not any two matches on here that are the same are there there's there's a couple of things that are similar but they're not they're not placed so for example this is relatively similar although nowhere near as good for example as angle benoit but they're playing not placed next to each other they're they're kept apart Mm. and between it you've got a hardcore match and you've got a six-man tag match that lasts four minutes and people you know it's got all the brawlers basically and it's just yeah really well paced and thought about and gone actually we're not gonna have we're gonna have jericho and regal first because we want to keep it fair way away from benoit versus angle because it would just be too similar and i i I just really appreciate the thought that's gone into that right i think we will take a break there one last thing before we go tom i've just checked missy elliott is credited as a producer on uh lady marmalade the song that was from the moulin rouge so have that and we will come back okay, in just yeah. a few minutes hey look just calm down man don't worry about it. look hey i'll tell you what drink a beer look at jackie relax my ass you know what place we're in this astrodome this is where i used to come with my daddy and watch bomb phillips not wearing his cowboy hat because his mama said don't wear a hat indoors calling the place for Kenny the Snake Stabler to hand off to the Tyler Rose, Earl Campbell, while 70,000 people chanted, love you blue. This is the same place, a big corn-fed boy from Alvin, Texas, 45 miles from here named Nolan Ryan, he used to throw 100 mile an hour fastballs. The same place, Tough Heatman used to hang on the bulls like he was Velcroed. The same place that badass animal bodacious used to destroy cowboys' egos. You don't understand, it's WrestleMania. Heart's gonna be broke. Legends are going to be made. Eagles will be shattered and asses are going to be kicked. We got a match. Go! Well, if we're going to put it like that, then let's go. 
Right then, welcome back. So we've still got quite a lot to cover, so no messing about. We've got to, got to push on forward. We see a limo arrives with WCW1 as its thunderplate. Uh, thunderplate? As <laughs> number plate. Um, I, I, I think I was think, thinking thunder because WCW1 came across to me as such a such a shit um, license plate. Uh, and it reminded me of Fab <laughs> 1, which was the Thunderbirds. It was. The Thunderbirds number plate. I think you were going with Thunderbird 1 then. I was going to say what. Then we see Shane McMahon uh, exit the uh, limo. We then get a bit of APA and Jacqueline backstage in the APA's office. Bradshaw getting excited about being in the Astrodome and reminiscing about sports moments from the past. Then the three get up to leave for their match in a very excitable and passionate way. Yeah, it's very much you can tell that he, that's the energy he brings to commentary, isn't it? When he's talking, when he's just like, when he goes rapid fire, he's like, that's the place where that thing happened, and this guy took a shit over in that corner over there, and this man got tugged off over there by some <laughs> toothless crone. And this, you know what I mean? Like, he probably he's going for isn't he like in that way that he does when he when he would be like there's brock lesnar he's the njpw super junior heavyweight middleweight class champion or whatever the fuck their titles are called over there you know what i mean like he's properly going for isn't he the, the, the super junior heavyweight middleweight <laughs> middleweight class championship class yeah that's <laughs> yeah, the one i think that is one of the titles yeah ask a true penny about it he knows his japanese wrestling that's the real title we then get the six-man tag match which is the right to censor against the apa and taz <laughs> Uh, it's a match that goes for just about four minutes and ends when Bradshaw hits a clothesline from hell on the good father and gets the pin. Matt? Do you know, I, I think I think you covered it earlier, really, Ben, where, you know, you said variety was probably the best thing on this show. And this match was so short that it didn't really overstay its welcome. It, it was fine. I mean, the, the one thing that really stood out, and, you know, I'm sure I mentioned on the last one as well, when we're talking about WrestleMania 16, not WrestleMania 2000, by the way, people, is that Taz, again, just whether it, whether it was he just he didn't care at this point or what, it just it was so sad to see what Taz had become. Because I was a big fan of his work in ECW. Like, he looked like an absolute bloody machine. And then you see him here, and it... He, yeah, he just looks like a... I, I don't even want to say a joke, but you know what fucking I am? I'm just going to say he looks like a bit of a joke. And it's quite sad to see. So I was a bit like, ugh. You know, he's a, you know, a guy who's pretending to be tough, and he just... Ugh, this version of Taz for me that just doesn't work. So that was a bit of a, an off-putting thing to start. But he did throw some good suplexes in the match, which is, again, which is one of the reasons why I do like him. But yeah, there, there wasn't an awful lot. Like I said, this was very quick. I must admit that I do panic every time the right to center comes out um because i do think yes my car alarm has gone again so i do quickly <laughs> check in the window and look in the car park to see that my car alarm is not going off no matter how many times that fucking entrance music goes and yeah just i mean you know bradshaw got the win with the clothesline from hell i mean i, I felt it was telegraphed to shit when, <laughs> when goodfather was going for like his well you can't really call it the whole train move at this point but his you know train move for a second time I was thinking yep he's gonna miss it gonna be a clothesline from hell and that's the win. And that's exactly what happened. And do you know what? Crowd loved it. Happy days. I mean, what a waste of Valvinus this is <laughs> in the right sensor. The right to sensor is one of those things where I admire the creativity of it because it's similar to, you know, what was happening with the network stuff in ECW, I guess, at the time where they were they had their sponsors or some kind of do-gooder organization saying, like, you can't have a pimp and a porn star in a wrestling show. And to be fair, they've probably got a bit of a point. But what are the Godfather and Valvinus if not a pimp and a porn star? There's no, no you know, that's, that's the best the best they've ever had it was in those in those gimmicks. And uh, it's a shame. Watching this match, it was it was 
all right. Yeah, it's a four four minute match. There's not really much you can say about it, is there? But Bob Buchanan, that spot where he jumps up onto the top rope and then hits like a clothesline like backwards is is quite impressive. That is pretty much all the Bob Buchanan lad had though, really, wasn't there? Obviously, yeah, Brad slaps the old uh, closer from hell on the good father, and then after the match ends, he gives him a little pat on the chest, doesn't he? As he gets up almost to say, "There you go, brother. Thanks for doing the honors." You know, because we're both a member of the what are they called the Bone the Buzzsaw Crew or something like that. The, the kind of a group of mates, aren't they? The, the Undertaker's lads. So, uh, yeah, I noticed that at the end. I thought that was a nice little touch from, you know, someone who I genuinely consider to be a bit of a cunt in JBL. But, um, yeah, it was absolutely fine. So, the yeah, Bone Street crew was the Undertaker's his little little lads backstage. His, yeah. his clique full of all the shit wrestlers, basically. That's what uh, he had in his, uh, in his little clique. <laughs> That's what they spoke about. They were kind of like, Do you, oh, oh, I'm a shit wrestler. So am I, Louis Mates. <laughs> what do we say? So, hang on. So we're, we're talking. Yeah. So Godfather JBL. I'm pretty sure Rikishi so is in there. Is, this very quickly on Wikipedia, I've looked up Crush, Henry Godwin, <laughs> Midian, Mr. Fuji, and the and Paul Barrett, the Godfather, Rikishi. Undertaker, Yokozuna, and Savio Vega. Yeah, so you, you'll take you'll take Undertaker, Rikishi, and Savio Vega out of that lot. I I'll take Yokozuna as well. Uh, yeah, I'm Yoko, yeah. Early Yoko, yeah, definitely. Big fan of Yoko. Yeah, look, as I say, for me, this is a great demonstration of Vince's vision of sports entertainment because AEW in this in this event would put on a seven eight minute maybe longer six man tag match. What Vince does is he says, I'm going to take seven, eight minutes, but four of those are going to be the entrances. <laughs> and people are going to get excited because Taz's music is fucking banging. Like it's absolutely quality. APAs. The APAs is decent too. We can just we can just get people out, get people pumped, have them have a really fast paced, but probably relatively sloppy little match. But it doesn't matter. Who cares? You know, it's, it's six, man, six man tag match. It only lasts four minutes. And we can have them beat up the, the four people that we've, or the three people we've most built up to be the big heels in this company at the moment which is the right to censor that were modeled after the parents television council who are effectively a group of people that were highlighting <laughs> things on the television programs that the, that wwe made and getting sponsors to withdraw sponsorship which actually to tom's point is probably i think though i would very rarely ever 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 give any credit to any organization such as this in 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 at any point i think they had some reasonable points WWE still marketed their product to children and it was not appropriate for children so I think that they had some fair points ironically in today's world the upper management and the mans in particular are probably very much in league with the parents television council so uh, that's quite ironic but at the time I think they had some fair points I will say that's, you've got a valid point but I'm still going to call them fucking nerds <laughs> I don't like them and although I would like to point out that uh, Mick Foley has a really fascinating sort of chapter about them and I think it was in his book Foley is Good um, he had a really really good I think it was I don't know if it was one of like the, the extra editions he did but it was a really good chapter about them uh, in there so if you happen to have that book dig it out it's really good I also really liked the way the WWE did this though so they did actually clean their product up using the right to censor so they got rid of Val Venus and the Godfather they got rid of the pimp and the porn star and just made it a heel storyline which I think is just really really clever so instead of them getting criticism from their own fans for cleaning up their product they used a heel faction to do it I think that's just genius they had all the time people coming out when whenever the women would like start to get 
scantily clad, they would have come people come out and cover them up. Don't get me wrong, I understand that that wasn't to a lot of people's tastes, but the point is, is they had to do it to retain their sponsors. So the only way that they managed to both placate the fans and placate the sponsors was by covering up using a storyline. I just thought that's just genius. That's just really clever. Yeah. I I boo the shit out of them for that. <laughs> and it worked because Which people is good. loved it when they got yeah. beat up. It was just really clever. And Stevie Richards, and in particular, we'll talk about her later on, but Steve Richards and Ivory were wonderful in these roles as well. Absolutely perfect for it. Also, I won't say this about the about, about Val Venus necessarily, but Bulby Cannon and The Godfather were going absolutely nowhere and going to do absolutely nothing. So having them as part of a stable like this is a very legitimately decent use of those wrestlers. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. Next up, we have Trish wheeling Linda backstage in uh, a wheelchair. Steph greeting them. Steph says she's sure it means so much to her to at least have one child who turned out okay. Steph talking to Linda, who is in a comatose by the way steph then tells trish to have champagne and strawberries ready for their celebration later after vince beats shane in their match that's coming up in the show and that she needs to crush the ice with her hands yes i don't know how you would do that that is very difficult to do if she was strong enough to do that she shouldn't have to worry about anything else should she well no exactly madness absolute madness this brings us to the hardcore title match a three-way hardcore title match which features a raven defending his title against Kane and the Big Show in a match that goes for nine and a half minutes and ends after Big Show lifts up Raven in a military military press, at which point Kane, Big Boots, Big Show, Big Show and Raven go, go falling off of the entrance away down onto a sort of another sort of panel and then Kane does a big old elbow drop on Big Show and pins the Big Show to win the title. Oh, what a match. <laughs> What an absolute barn burner this is. The match is basically Kane and Big Show fighting whilst walking down an alley, walking down a corridor, whilst Raven chips it every now and again and gets hit. But my God, it's so much fun. Raven, right from the beginning, Raven comes down to the ring with a little trolley full of stuff that doesn't look like it would hurt, such as flowers and some kind of Frankenstein figurine. Kane comes out to a massive pop. Like, it must probably be the most over he's ever been, because it's a huge pop. And then they kind of get fighting already. Um, and JR and, and Paul Heyman do a really good job of putting over how scary Kane is still, despite the fact that he's been there for like what, three years now. I was just watching it and I was just smiling. I was just enjoying this match so much. There's bit where Kane jumps off the top rope to the outside and I was thinking to myself my god I feel sorry for his knees because he hits a clothesline off the top and hits Big Show and then kind of lands on his feet and rolls and I was like maybe that's why he's such a cunt because his knees are in so much pain all the time from years of jumping off the top rope they then fight through the crowd there's quite a while where the cameraman just can't seem to find them which again kind of adds to the chaotic yeah, energy even that's fun match. even that yeah. is fun yeah because it feels like you're there you're like what's going on why can I see him what's happening there's a bit where Kane breaks a broom for the big show's back and it looks like his fucking agony the window spot when Kane throws Raven through the windows absolutely amazing there's a great face from the big show when Kane tries slaps on a choke and the big show just pulls an absolutely phenomenal face they both fall through the wall they get golf carts Raven nearly gets run over oh it's just wonderful it's so much fun I just watched that match and I'm just like this is we reviewed a couple of like Terry Funk kind of hardcore matches in WCW when they had their hardcore championship 
Championship. I believe he had a match against Henry Custard. And it's just really, really depressing and sad because it just doesn't feel like there's been any thought put into it. It's just two blokes rambling around the backstage, just grabbing anything and trying to make it look not even good, but just trying to make it look like they're hitting someone. Whereas they've obviously put a lot of thought into this. They've built the set in the back around it. It's very well produced. It's just great. It's just great. This is such an unbelievably fun match. I loved it. Ten stars in the Tokyo Dome. Well, it looks like this is the bit where the polar bear might uh, <laughs> might jump into the equation. Um, Least favorite animal. <laughs> not to say that I thought that it was bad. I straight off the bat, I didn't enjoy it anywhere near as much as you did. By the looks of it, this type it doesn't appeal to me. Is the long and short of it? Like this type of match just just doesn't appeal to me. Tr- trying to to put that aside and be a bit of you know trying to be. A, a little bit objective about it. It was all right. I mean, you know, just to start with, I mean, I know Kane isn't the most popular person on this show, but I was a big fan of his at, at the time. And my God, was he in shape. This was, I mean, this was the probably the most jacked and shredded that Kane ever looked. I loved the gear he had on at the time. I thought that this was peak Kane for me. And, you know, to your point, Tom, I thought that the crowd felt that as well. And he did get a really big pop when he came out. The reason this match didn't sort of work for me is that it felt that it took to, it took them ages to get to the interesting bits. So it'd be like a massive lull. And, oh, there's a cool spot. Massive lull. Oh, there's a cool spot. So there was one or two sort of bits that I can point that I did like. Even <laughs> from going through the glass window was fucking hilarious. <laughs> Big Show and Kane trying to go through any wall that would have them. Because they were clearly trying to go through the one. They were thinking, shit, there's, there's like a rail in front of it. That's not going to happen. Let's try and go through there. Nope, that doesn't happen. No, look, there's another wall. Let's try that. That eventually worked. I did quite enjoy Big Show clearly working to the crowd, who probably would have been watching at the screen, because obviously he wasn't in front of them specifically. Uh, but he put his uh, hand around Kane's neck and was like, right here on the floor. That just made me chuckle. I thought that was funny. The, the bit that I thought, oh, shit, Kane in the in the golf cart. I did did give me an initial chuckle. I must admit, seeing Kane with the referee in the golf cart. But I have a funny feeling he probably went a little bit too quick and legit nearly run over Raven's leg. Yeah. He's probably thinking, oh, fuck, is this thing goes faster than I thought. Because, yeah, that, that looked a little bit dicey. But then, yeah, you know, they, they made their way out onto the stage. The finish was okay. I, I, you know, the crowd were happy with who won. And it was all right. It was it was okay for, for what it was. Like I said, again, not not my type of thing. But, you know, for what it was, it, it was it was relatively entertaining. Oh, you, you, you really don't like fun, do you, Matt? No, you really I was do not like fun. I wanted to say it so hard. Wait till, <laughs> wait till we get to later on and you know what I'm talking about. But I can I can forgive that. This is just fun. This is just fun. There's there's no there's no mucking about it. This is just fun. I, I'm reading through my notes just before you finished, and I was like, the 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 handheld camera can't find them at all. It's just chaos going on. Then Big Show slams Kane on some wooden pallets. Then Kane throws Raven through a window. Big Show th- throws Kane through a locked door, and then they crash through a wall together. This is brilliant. It's just sensational stuff. It's just re- it's really really good. The golf cart bit is just wonderful Kane doesn't just chase after them with the golf cart he gets a referee on the back as well <laughs> yeah it's fucking brilliant it's just absolutely give me, brilliant give me a little bit of a chuckle it's just brilliant it's just it's just absolutely top quality comedy hardcore match and again back to my central theme completely different to everything else on the show not just in terms of what they do and their style but the look because they're all backstage and they're in the crowd and they're all over the mm. place it's completely different just the whole show doesn't stop 
moving you around, giving you something different, providing you with a different kind of enjoyment. And therefore, it never gets anywhere close to being boring. It's just constantly on the go, giving you something different. We'll get to what you were talking about, Matt, because even that is bad quality as it may be it does the same thing it gives you something completely different again and that and that's where they go with the show and, and again this just fits perfectly where it is on the show a real departure from you know jericho and regal for example which is the opening match then we blasted through a six-man tag match then we have this little bit of nonsense fun oh love it I've, I've always loved this match and i still do next up backstage angle watches footage of himself tapping out to benoit's crossface Ed and Christian turn up, excited about their match, but Angle is obsessed with having not officially tapped, as there was no match or official when he tapped to Benoit. Which brings me to something I wanted to talk about for a bit, actually, and I was waiting for a, a moment over the weeks to, to talk about it, and this seems the most perfect opportunity. Oh, yeah. And the thing I hate about the Benoit-Angle feud, because it's so, it's so based around the idea that Angle taps out to Benoit's crossface, you wouldn't tap when there's no match. This is the bit I really hate. It doesn't matter how much pain you're in. You wouldn't be tapping if there's no match. Are you, you not submitting to someone's will? You'd like kind of tap and say, "Please let me go, let me but go." He's attacked you. He's not gonna. He's not going to. He's not going to like let you go just because you ask him to. I, I they, they, don't, they don't like each other. Like, oh, 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 no, you really hurt me now. Oh, okay, well, I'll let you go then. Like, it's just stupid. Don't make any sense. I wonder if you can argue it away by saying it's just an insti- instinctive thing. You're so used to doing that when you're in that kind of hold. I wonder, sorry to piss on their chips a little bit, Tinky, but I think you can I think you can explain it away quite quite easily, actually. If you consider that to be explained away easily, then it's like Taz trying to pin people in that hardcore battle royal from WrestleMania 2000 oh. when he was the champion. It's ah. like, it doesn't work, and it's the same thing here. Like, if you're not in a match situation, don't tap. Don't make sense to tap. Mm-hmm. And it's not just this don't get wrong this isn't the only few they do it and they do it all the fucking time i was like why are you tapping you're not in a match like what's that gonna do nothing you idiot <laughs> it's just to give the baby face bra- it's it is stupid but it's so they can give the baby face bragging rights in it but yeah it is stupid i, I love the idea of you sat there watching the tv fuming in a manner similar to kurt angle so then we see some footage of wf new york and jimmy snooker is shown there jonathan coachman interviews linda craftman from Brisbane, Australia. Coach gives her the chance to send a message to <laughs> the world. And she says, WWF Rose. <laughs> and then and then they all start going, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oh, yeah. oi, oi, oi. Um, Jimmy Snooker is celebrating in WWF New York like a man who's managed to escape punishment for killing his girlfriend. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I found the found the Australian woman, yeah, terrible. Dragon. this fun <laughs> Oh God, Matt! What's wrong with you? He's got such a weird, warped idea of what's good she, and what isn't. She's pretty happy. She won a competition. Fucking great! What else are you gonna say? Of course, she's gonna say something she like that. She didn't win. She didn't win a competition. She was. She was just the person who travelled the longest to get there. Yeah. I it was some competition. Oh well, well, she was happy to be there. The Aussie, Aussie, Aussie thing. Yeah, why not? No. A bit of fun. I love a bit of fun. The Rock is then shown arriving in the locker room, and then footage is shown of Eddie Guerrero officiating a match between X-Pac and Test and helping X-Pac win ahead of this WrestleMania match, which is Test versus Eddie Guerrero for the European title, a match that goes for eight and a half minutes and ends with the ref distracted. Eddie hits Test with the European title belt and gets the pin. He's helped out by some distraction from Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn. I'm going to say something here that I think might be fairly controversial. I like Test. 
I do come, like Tess. Sorry, can we need to talk about that? It's so fucking partridge when he's when he's having the interview at the BBC and he's like, "Boy, I like wine." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna leave it there. I, I like Tess. He's quite good as, as far as an actual in-ring wrestler goes. He's pretty good. I mean, okay, he's a bit of a charisma vacuum. I'll certainly say that. But I, this is one of the things. I, I remember this show very well. I don't remember absolutely naffle about this match. Literally nothing. Everything else on the show, I could tell you at least one thing about. This, nothing. So it was almost as if I was watching it for the first time. And like I said, in-ring-wise, I thought Tess was pretty good. I, I felt that Eddie did, he really did a good job at selling for him. In particular, there was two, you know, two back-to-back sort of tilt-a-whirl uh, sort of spots. It was a tilt-a-whirl slam and then a powerbomb, which was bloody brilliant. Uh, Eddie obviously needed the needed the rest of the Radicals to help him win. I love the big boot the test hits as a finish. I just think that's fucking awesome. It is literally just a man, boot to the face. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> considering this match is for the European title, which I have said before, I'm not. I'm really not sold on the European title as a remotely prestigious championship. So that bit sort of gets lost on me. But cool, whatever. You know, they, they really wanted to win the title. Uh, anyone cheated to do it. Eh, okay. It was all right. But like I said, I mean, for, for me, I just come back to I like test. <laughs> well, someone's got it, Matt. Yeah. My MVP is in this match. Does anybody test. think about what it is or who it is? What it is? You said what it is. Yeah, I did say what it is. I think that may have given the game away. It's got to be the hat. It is the hat. It is Perry Saturn's Jamiroquai hat. It's absolutely tremendous. He, he came out and I can remember him wearing this mad hat. And I was like, ah, what a great hat. That's my MVP. Because it's amazing. Especially a bit at the end of the match when Eddie puts it on as well. Because he's celebrating and he puts that on wonderful stuff oh god i was i was watching this and i was just like test test this is a test test and i was like this is amazing well and i was i was almost on the <laughs> test bandwagon for a moment and then i saw him wrestle and i was like oh he's fine but the the thing i will say mate is that you <laughs> he's in the ring with one of the best <laughs> do you know what i mean so i think eddie guerrero does a very good job at making him look quite quite good he's what two two for four in uh, terms of uh, mvps test i believe on this show so you know he's, he's obviously doing something right i thought his match was quite fun good test it does hit a pretty impressive elbow off the top, like back elbow off the top rope a la chris jericho which is pretty good he's not that good enough that he can't get himself out of the ropes though because the poor ref and eddie guerrero have to work to get him out of the ropes he gets stuck in at one point i tell you what is impressive is a uh like a beautiful kind of vertical suplex that eddie guerrero hits hits on test because test is a big lad i just think that the, this match was really fun i enjoyed it i thought it was good the highlight was the hat obviously and i loved perry saturn's role outside basically he was just going in there to get hit by test in in order to to allow eddie grow to win the match quite enjoyed this and to answer your question i think eddie grow probably is one of the greatest of all one of the best of all times in terms of technical ability and in-ring work and character work but i do think that his legacy or the the mythology of eddie guerrero is certainly a bit overblown but i do think he is one of the best i go with fair point for that yeah and i think also there's there's potentially he's one of the he's one of the many wrestlers who had he not passed away 
potentially you might have seen him fulfill yeah that what you know being one of the best ever but that just never really happened and therefore your imagination runs away with you for what could have been we, we've had this conversation okay. before it's like george best yeah, yeah exactly it's exactly same thing. you know i mean yeah. like you 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 think of these players you you romanticize them because they they never quite got to they never quite got the chance to disgrace themselves i mean we we can talk about we can talk about uh, ray mysterio he obviously hasn't disgraced himself but he and he is probably well he's arguably the best luchador of all time and and one of the best wrestlers of all time but because you see him all the time and you see what he's done it like tinky said it doesn't leave much to your imagination does it in the way that someone who died reasonably young who was that good will i think it's a very eloquent way of putting it actually and i, I won't be a dick and say anything else <laughs> for the rest what, of the show the re- <laughs> <laughs> cool yeah nice to see you gents peace no, out the salute you, have, you, have, you have to stay there you're not allowed to say anything but you have to stay there and listen <laughs> i i thought it was all right it was there was nothing oh it wasn't particularly memorable this one this was probably the not the worst match but just the least memorable thing on the show i guess to your point matt you didn't even remember it was here so you know it doesn't stand out i mean it is for the european title let's be honest no one cares about that with test i don't think he was bad either I, I don't think he was bad i think probably you're right the the lack of charisma cost him somewhat but there was definitely a good while where they did value him and when he first came in certainly and had the first voice part of the corporation and had the relationship with stephanie that did seem that he was going to be someone that they were pushing hard. Like people talking about him as the new Kevin Nash, because just similar sort of size and look to him. And Jesus Christ, I mean, that's fucking something you don't really want to be compared to. Isn't uh, it? Maybe, but I mean, let's be fair. Kevin Nash had made his money and, and had his run as a top guy. So there's worse things to be uh, in pro wrestling. Jimmy Snooker being one of them. So, <laughs> you know, look, he, they did seem to like him, but ultimately he didn't come out of the whole stephanie thing very well at all pretty much looked like a proper chump at the end of all of that and never really recovered they tried to push him a number of times after that but it just never just never really worked and uh, in, the, in the autumn in the autumn mainly yeah mainly in the autumn he had loads of pushes that, that's yeah. what always makes me laugh i mean you know we have that thing used you know during the alliance where he couldn't be fired with stacy you know he was a really good heel against the rock years later they brought him back again he was meant to be a figurehead of ec I mean, my God, they did give him chance after chance after chance. He's just a big guy, and that's what Vince likes, so he's always going to get loads of chances. Next up, we get Michael Cole interviewing Mick Foley backstage. Foley says he will call the Vince versus Shane match right down the middle. He is going to be the referee for that match, and he says he's going to do that here in Austin, Texas for the cheap pop. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Austin shown then arriving at his locker room. And then we get Kurt Angle ahead of his match with Chris Benoit saying that as the Olympic hero, he represents all the states of the US, but he's not a fan of Texas and, and that their flag is missing 49 other stars. Angle then says that even the Texas natives will see he wouldn't tap to Benoit. That's him coming to the ring. Didn't he mock their cowboy hats as well? He did mock their Something cowboy like hats. There was lots of other stuff. I just couldn't bother to that, that, that one deeply hurt me having purchased a cowboy hat from texas kirk you prick so basically you're you're not an idiot from texas who wears a cowboy hat you're an idiot from somewhere else that wears a cowboy <laughs> <Yeah>. hat <laughs> yes that's absolutely right i'm an idiot from wales who wears a texas cowboy hat so then it's the angle benoit match which we've we've covered and then we get michael cole backstage with william regal who arrives back at his office to find kamala stood on his desk and kimchi with him he wants to what he wants me to rub his belly brilliant no, that brilliant was stuff. funny yeah yeah that no, was definitely yeah. regal was absolutely in terms of his backstage skits during this period regal was absolute value he was he, absolute quality he also was michael cole a specimen as far as get away from me you nauseating little specimen yeah. or something like that which I, I enjoyed then there's footage of the wwe pep yes. rally 
with superstars riding US Army riding US Army personnel. That's not right. <laughs> I tell you what, the fucking WWF and the US Army are fucking sucking each other off right in front of the camera, aren't they? Jesus. Yes, the, su- <laughs> the superstars are meeting the US Army personnel. It features Brad Bradshaw, Undertaker, Trish Stratus, Lita, Jacqueline in Hummers, throwing out merch to people in a parade type thing that about seven people seem to have attended. And then also Kurt Angle there, and he disappointed in the response he receives from the military personnel. <laughs> I think it's Trish. And then Jacqueline. And then <laughs> then Undertaker were like, tell her, I bloody love getting that hammer earlier <laughs> they're all so excited about having a chance to ride in armor and this amazing and then that bit with Kurt Angle was tremendous because again it's that wonderful thing where he's got no idea that he's the, the asshole in this situation and it's just tremendous go on Kurt what a lad then backstage Kevin Kelly's with Kurt Angle Kurt Angle says that there were two men in the ring and the better man won and he doesn't have to respect anyone Kevin Kelly suggesting that he should respect Benoit Benoit then catches up to Angle and attacks him and puts him in the crossface and again Angle taps like a twi- Mm. backstage this time it's not even in the ring it's not even in the ring this time and he's still tapping it's habit <laughs> he taps like a twat <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. <laughs> There's then a video package hyping the women's title match, including China hurting herself in the match at the Royal Rumble when she tries to do uh, a backflip elbow thing. And then Ivory attacking a cardboard cutout of China, mocking <laughs> China's uh, injury, then China returning and ripping off Ivory's clothes ahead of their match here for the women's title. Jim Ross and Paul Heyman explain that China has signed a contract that prevents her from suing if Ivory breaks China's neck in the match. This is all building on the idea that China's got this injury that might end her career. That women's title match is next. It's China versus Ivory. Ivory defending the title. It lasts for two and a half minutes. It's dominated by China and she wins with a gorilla press slam. Tom. That's right, Tinky. <laughs> is that it? Is that what you to say? <laughs> well, you do. It was, it was absolutely fine. But there's, there's a little bit, there's a little kind of um, touch on the entrance musics entrance musics yeah why not entrance musics i never realized this at this point where i realized that the right to censor theme's got a beat in the background as well and i was like yeah i'm into this now i thought it was the sirens before and then i forgot about the don't treat me like a woman don't treat me like a man <laughs> oh china's theme <laughs> is fucking amazing it's so great it's wonderful and china is so fucking over it's outrageous like the the match kind of starts off with ivory like she initially ta- attacks China from behind and hits the neck, but that's all dealt with in about 10 seconds. China hits a powerbomb, goes for the pin, but then lifts her shoulders up and then hits her with a gorilla press and wins. That is the match. That is it. It was pointless, but you know, it was, it was what it was. It wasn't long enough to be to be offensively bad or anything like that. It just it it kind of happened. It was like a it was like a fart when you're asleep. It just happens, but you don't think about it after it happens. And you probably don't think about it when you're uh, you're asleep either, because exactly. <laughs> I certainly don't take these like as detailed notes as I did about this match as I do about a midnight fart. Maybe maybe a fart in the morning and a nice morning guff. That's what I'm thinking of rather than a midnight one when you're asleep. <laughs> I don't quite know what to say after that. Um, the first time I saw this, I would have been, I think it was 11 years old. It's either 11 or 12 years old. And there was a couple of things that I took away from this show after watching it. Really stuck with me. Austin and Rock really stuck with me. TLC, which we'll get to. Uh, Taker, Triple H really stuck with me. And China as well. China came across as a total fucking star. Like, very much from the moment she came out, I was like, who the friggin' hell is that? 
presentation wise her presence like the her entrance with the freaking gun and the sparks and the crowd i just i literally remember walking away thinking friggin hell who is that can't wait to see her again and for that reason i had loved this yeah it, it was is pretty much just basically a squash but i i just couldn't help but think who the hell is this tall friggin amazon who's just beating the shit out of people and apparently it's her first women's title match ever i remember thinking my god she's gonna run through the entire division like a friggin train which well hindsight no she didn't on a total side note i couldn't help but think afterwards i thinking, my god imagine if she was you know if she was about today and i just thought what would China versus Charlotte Flair look like? And I just started, you know, <laughs> going down that rabbit hole of thinking that. But I thought this was great. Again, I thought China came across like a total star. It didn't do any favors for Ivory, let's be honest. But um, for China, it was it was a big win. Um, I thought it was great. Great might be pushing it, if I'm honest, Matt. But it was all right. It was fine. I mean, I, I can't. You can't complain. It's like it's the one of the worst things on the show, but it's three minutes long. So who cares? Like it just doesn't. It doesn't matter. And it's been built well. And China's over. And China's going to win this match no matter what. China is the ideal kind of look of a star that WWE have got. Someone who looks large in life. No, I can't remember who it was. Probably Wade Keller or someone who said something about after um, one of the WrestleManias, 33 or 34, something like that. And two of the champions at the time were Roman Reigns and Charlotte Flair. And he said that is that is what WWE want to be on the Monday morning, the Monday morning talk shows because they just look crazy, look at larger than life, massive, good looking. You know, that's what they want. That's what WWE want to put in front of people. They don't want Daniel Bryan or Mick Foley or indeed Ivory going out there and, and representing them. That's not what they, they're looking for. So China was perfect for them and she was a big star. They they did a great job. They just didn't follow this up in any way. I think China had started to, basically she got to the point that the Sable had got to a few years before, which was that she started demanding money, quite big money from them as a big star. And they were like, well, no. And I think that was entirely down to the fact that she was a woman if we're being perfectly honest that's why they didn't give her the money because i think had she been a man and been as big a star she would have got the money do you know what she should have said she should have gone and then gone don't treat me like a woman please treat me like a man so next up we have backstage vince confirming with trish that she did double up on linda's dosage and that she knows when to bring linda down to the ring michael cole then arrives and asks vince about the shocking events of monday but vince cuts him off and says that if they want shocking tonight they will get shocking we then get the video package hyping the mcmahon match with vince's affair and humiliation of trish which is a particularly infamous segment on smackdown also shane arriving at nitro having bought wcw and we see all the stuff that happened on that episode of raw and nitro with the simulcast and i think it is worth saying and i, I i'm i tried to race through the ivory china match because i'm like we've got not a lot of time and still loads the fucking well cover and yet i can't breeze past the trish segment on smackdown because it was a significant moment so much so that the sky refused to air it in the uk because it was so objectionable and it was objectionable and should not have been done yes so that vince had trish barking like a dog in the ring uh, and this was after of course vince was and, and during basically vince having an affair with trish just really rough kind of stuff no, no, that wasn't that wasn't a pun, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, the video package doesn't do much to make Vince not look like a sexual predator, but at least he's never had a really creepy moustache. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. And also, quick thing, Shane McMahon's turtleneck burnt into my memory because <laughs> it must be fucking boiling down there in Florida mm. or wherever it is. And he's wearing a fucking massive woolly jumper all the way up to his neck. The man's Loved a it. clown. So this is for this is the next match. Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon, street fight. 
14 minutes long. It's one when Shane pins Vince after Shane hits a modified Van Terminator on Vince with a trash can. And I think it's all I think it's all fair to say that this is absolutely match of the night, is it not? Yeah, definitely big time. Big time. It's fucking amazing. This is I'm sorry, the main event is great. The TLC match that we're gonna get on is great. This match is the fucking match of the night. The crowd are rabid. They're foaming at the mouth. They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know whether to fucking watch the match. They don't know whether to have a tug, fucking do a handstand, a cartwheel die. I don't know. They they're, they're unbelievable. And it kind of it's just like a fun kind of like this match has got no right to be as good as it is but it's just like you said before I think thinking about like Raw being like bang 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 this is that condensed into about 15 minutes and it just it is just relentless distraction 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 to get you away from the fact that it's a fucking old fart in his 50s against an untrained uh, untrained non-wrestler in his 30s having an absolute barn burner like when Trish brings Linda down you don't really expect much obviously we know what what is happening having seen it before but that Linda is perfect in her role as a catatonic wife because of her incredible lack of charisma and she's just sat down and that moment when she stands up the crowd go ballistic and it is arguably my second favorite pop of all time it is just absolutely insane she kicks Vince in the bollocks his face when she turns around say what you want about Vince he's a fucking scumbag but his face his his reaction to seeing Stephanie is amazing the kick in the bollocks the Van Terminator wonderful stuff absolutely wonderful I, I love this match I, I was smiling from ear to ear about it the only the only downside that I had is I was literally at one point when Shane was hitting Vince McMahon with the kendo sticks I was like out on the outside of the ring by the commentary table I thought to myself ah do you know what I can deal with this version of Shane he's not doing his stupid boxing and punching and then he immediately did the boxing and punching and dancing which annoyed me but other than that match of the night love it absolutely love it love this match Matt what did you think well it definitely wasn't my match of the night <laughs> I'll say that you, you surprised me Matt you, I, you shocked I know, me I, I know um, this was very much Jerry Springer at its finest wasn't it that's the first thing that immediately popped out to me is that this was very much soap opera-y Jerry Springer type shit which was definitely popular certainly in America so I could easily see why they went with it instead of like a 50, it felt like a 15 minute angle more than anything else um, in terms of a match and in all fairness them as far as an angle goes for that length of time masquerading as a match it was all right I, I i will admit that i did feel uncomfortable and maybe that was the point though but i did feel uncomfortable when vince was taking linda out of the chair putting her in the ring when she's like immobile i just i was like i just thinking, oh no like that, that did make me cringe about it i was thinking my god that would bloody wouldn't work today would it but i, I suppose he got his comeuppance but yeah when you know when trish slapped vince you know to get a revenge i thought that was great the crowd went batshit when trish and stephanie started going at it and in all fairness to them and i've got to give a quick sort of shout out and praise to them for this they did have a munch uh, did have a munch wow i went there, <laughs> I went there didn't i fuck uh, they had a i'm going red now they had a match at no way out not too long uh, prior to that that was excellent so they had really good chemistry those pair and um, maybe that's partially why the, the the crowd loved them i think but similar to you tom you know when vince did get in the ring with linda and she got out of her chair i mean my god that was probably one of the best pops on the entire show. Foley coming back in to get revenge on Vince after he's hit him with a chair. Shane getting the Van Terminator, which to this day is the best one he's ever hit. It hasn't been anywhere remotely as good as that ever since. 
it, it was good. And the one thing that really struck me at the end of it, and, and I made a point that I, I wanted to note this, is that regardless of the good or, you know, whether it was in poor taste or what, some of the stuff that Vincent had and you know, in the story, this was definitely the, the not only was it the payoff, but it was the right payoff. And like I know particularly we've talked about it, Ben, you know, in, in terms of Triple H's book in that he doesn't sort of do the happy ending. This was the happy ending. Vince got his comeuppance and he finally paid for his sins. Everybody got what they were after. Vince got his ass kicked and it was it was the perfect ending. So fair play to them for that. Ticking the right box. For like I said, for what was pretty much a 50 minute angle, pretty good. Uh, not just pretty good, Matt. No, we're not having it. It's not just pretty good. This is magic. This is absolute magic, this is. This is what it's all about. I'm usually the person who sits between Tom and Old Man and the seriousness of serious pro wrestling, if you like. But I am I'm very, 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 very tempted to give this genuinely, legitimately my match of the night because I just thought this was stunning. It's just stunning piece of work. Like Tom said, has no right to be this good. It's two non-wrestlers in a match with a retired wrestler refereeing it and two other non-wrestlers fighting at ringside and a third non-wrestler who also can't talk very well at all. And yet they create one of the most atmospheric things you'll ever see in pro wrestling. And there are about five earth-shattering pops during this this match not just one not just the linda standing up pop which is humongous but there's the pop when shane jumps off the top rope and goes through the table there's the pop when trish slaps vince there's the pop when trish jumps on stephanie and attacks her and chases after her up the up, to, up the ramp there's the pop when linda stands up there's the pop when foley gets back in the yeah. ring and starts beating the shit out of vince there's the pop when shane does the van terminator and the fans are going batshit crazy through every moment of it they are hooked on every single moment of this match when i was watching it i was like there were there were there, my hairs are standing up i was like this is just crazy this shouldn't be this good it shouldn't be this fun it shouldn't be this special but it is it's just so so good it's just so good it, it for me is it makes a mockery of the idea that you need high work rate and technical wrestling mm-hmm. to have good wrestling it just you just don't what you need is a really well told story and this had an amazingly well told story and brilliantly all of it evaporates through the course of this match as well so we had months of trish being humiliated by vince we've already spoken about the, the just the dreadfulness of that particular one particular angle that they did but also the hideous nature of her his relationship with trish in front of linda we've had all of that stuff going on we've had vince sack mick foley as the commissioner and and mick foley sign a load of documents before he got sacked to make sure that he could still create some rulings later on which is why he's the referee of this match because one of them was he could make himself the referee of a match at wrestlemania and it all unravels over the course of the match trish reveals that she doesn't like vince and slaps him then linda reveals that she's not drugged anymore and she's able to come after vince it's just phenomenal it's just she, phenomenal work shame at man playing the hero defending his mother's honor undercut and vince to buy wcw like it's just wonder it's brilliant isn't it it's so fucking good it, it's amazing to think that that wcw bit is just an add-on yeah because they would never have thought of it they would have done it if, if that you know there's no that was never meant to be the part of the plan it just it just so happened that it came along and probably <laughs> probably they would they probably regretted it in the longer run yeah. because it didn't end up making any sense because they couldn't have wcw be the baby faces and shane was the baby face the spot where Shane comes off of the top rope through the announce table, you have to give a massive shout out to Stephanie McMahon because her timing when pulling off her dad <laughs> is absolutely 
incredible. You just agreed. I didn't know. No, <laughs> I, I didn't. It just it occurred to me. But it's it, yeah, the timing on that is amazing because it's just the, there was a bit in um the Logan Paul Seth Rollins match at WrestleMania where it looked a little bit that a similar spot happened in that and it looked a little bit telegraphed. Whereas this one, perfect, absolutely perfect. I think it's hard if you are the individual to get yourself off the table without it telegraphing it to the person who's doing the move. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the best way to have someone avoid it is for someone else to drag them off. Yeah. But they have to do it well and they have to time it well. And Stephanie did time it absolutely perfectly. Before we move on from this match, just a quick little excerpt from uh, 35 years of wrestling. Ooh. It's, it's uh, entering the thing. And I think this might inform a lot of why the McMahons are on television so much and always have been. Linda McMahon remembers, we conducted some consumer research and it confirmed that storylines that included behind-the-scenes elements with our family were very well received by our audience. For instance, when Vince went on television and said he wanted a divorce, I began to receive letters from fans asking if we really were getting a divorce. And I think they've received similar feedback from the USA Network in the past. They've basically yeah. been told, you are massive ratings getters. We want you on the screen. We don't want you off screen. So all the time, us fans are shouting, get off the fucking screen, get out of the way of all the wrestlers. They're being told by their focus groups, by USA Network, by people who have a vested interest in making money from them. No, keep keep yourselves on the on the screen. So that might might explain a lot about why that well, keeps happening. But it appeals to the non wrestling soap opera aspect of it, doesn't it? So we uh we move on with the show. Next up, we get footage of WWF access from the previous day and Kevin Kelly interviewing the Hardys. They say it's personal and dangerous. Jeff says he's going into the match as if it's his last. They're talking about the TLC two match to come. We see a little bit of shot of Triple H and Undertaker warming up for their match later in the night. Triple H aggressively putting his knee pads on. Very (laughs) aggressively. As you do. Then we get the ring guys shown setting up the tables, ladders and chairs for the next match. Now I just wanted to comment on this because I thought this was quite clever and a a strength of TLC. Because it's a TLC match, because it's tables, ladders and chairs, you can set up the tables ahead of time and it not be contrived. It makes perfect sense. This is a tables, ladders and chairs match. I thought this is again a stroke of genius. It it doesn't feel unnatural for them to do this because it's called a TLC match. Why wouldn't you do it? That is the next match the Dudley boys the Hardy boys Edge and Christian TLC 2 three-way ladder match effectively for the tag team titles uh, just under 16 minutes in length won by Edge and Christian when Edge holds on to Devon as he tries to scale one side of a ladder while Rhino piggybacks Christian up the other side of the ladder and he grabs the belts and they win the match Again, I think the third time they won their match between these three the three teams. So I, I'm going to start this time. Last week, I said that I thought that the three-way ladder match at WrestleMania 2000 was quite badly dated, I thought. It just, it just didn't feel like a notch above anything we've seen since in terms of a ladder match. And I said I didn't think I would feel that way about this match. And I don't. I do think this is quality. I do think this is absolutely quality. There's just something about the pace of this match, which I just think is so, so much better than the one at WrestleMania 2000. The addition of Lita, Spike Dudley and Rhino makes this just brilliant. When Jeff Hardy does his swanton bomb off the ladder this time, he's not taking out another person in the match. He's taking two other people who aren't even in the match at the time when he does it. So it means that there's 
more people to keep the match going after the move has taken place. And that's kind of the case with all of the rest of it. As I said, I thought the setting up tables before the match really helped this because that was another major problem I had with the WrestleMania 2001. All the stuff that they just took so long setting things up. And there was quite long setups in this match as well. There's a bit in the ring where Edge is setting up all the ladders that Jeff Hardy is going to later on try and do the stepping stone across. But whilst he's doing it, Jeff is doing his swanton bomb off the ladder. So you don't, you're not, your eyes not drawn to it as much. You're not waiting for it to go on it's still contrived it's still not quite you know it still doesn't make any sense he's in the middle of the ring just get up the ladder and win the match you idiot but your eyes are not drawn to it because jeff hardy's about to do something crazy talking about crazy let's not pretend that any moment is more defining and iconic probably in the history of wwe than jeff hardy being speared off of the belts it's well, that's the noise. That is the noise, isn't it? It's just incredible. It's just that was, it's such a shame that he didn't manage to do the stepping stones across yeah. the ladder in the preparation for it. Because had he done that, I think you just you just pack up and say, well, that's it. We're done now. Wrestling's finished. Yeah. Wrestling's completed. Yes, it's over. It's like if Brock Lesnar had hit the shooting star press at WrestleMania 19. There's just been no point in doing anything ever again, basically. That bit is so amazing and iconic that it is the moment when it kicks in in the desire sacrifice when it really comes into and he gets oh fucking i was watching it and i was like ah wrestling (laughs) myself that's fair because this is this is brilliant this is really really brilliant the four table crash that bubba and matt hardy do is great everything that rhino does in this match is just intense and crazy lita i've spoken about the fact that i do find her her to be quite dangerous looking in the way she does the stuff that she does specifically her oh hurricane rana hurricane rana and her moonsault i find very worried she shot a spike Oh, oh yeah, the share shot to Spike. But she, her contributions are great, and she's massively over. Spike does his bit as well. Everybody adds something to this, and it's it's great. It's a really, really great match. It is also a contender for match of the night for me. We've already had two other contenders for match of the night, yeah. that being the main event and the Shane McMahon versus Vince McMahon match. This is there as well. Yeah, I, I loved it. Tom, why don't you go next? Do you know, it's hard to say anything about this match that hasn't been said before, and very much by itself. It's amazing. But there's a couple of other spots I wanted to note. There's a bit right at the beginning of the match where Jeff takes a drop toehold face first onto a, to a chair that's been set up, and it looks absolutely savage. This is the match that you show people who aren't into wrestling. I believe you told me a long time ago, thinking you showed it. This is the match that got our friend Rob Keen into wrestling. Was no, it not this one? No. So basically, what happened in January 2000, um, on I think on Heat or Jacked or Metal or something, I just so happened to be flicking through the channels, and they played a highlight package of the Christian Edge versus Jeff and Matt Hardy match from No Mercy 99. Right. Okay. And I. I managed to I had a video recorder in there because I always recorded wrestling on a Friday night so I just pressed record on the video recorder and then gave him that and said watch this and that's what got him into it oh I see similar anyway um, but like this this is the definition of me and a couple of mates have had a couple of beers let's chuck this bad boy on this the hell in a cell and uh, and, and the uh, the Mike Awesome versus um, Masato Tanaka from One Night Stand those are like the three go-to after a couple of beers lads who aren't massively into wrestling as much you you'll enjoy this there's a, a really horrible botch though that my mate Berkey pointed out to me which is when Bubba Ray power bombs Jeff through Edge on the table and Jeff basically just smashes his head on it and he doesn't it doesn't connect and it looks really horrible his neck must be fucked after that and Christian's 
<laughs> it's going to make me laugh because it's a hellacious bump. But Christian's bump off the top of the ladder, where he's obviously supposed to land and land on the ropes and crotch himself, and just misses and just goes right to the outside. Looks, oh, it's absolutely horrendous. But it's it's brilliant. This match is, is again, so much fun. There's a bit where, uh, according to JR, leader jerks edge off, which I was like, <laughs> yes. But it was just brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. What a match. What a match. It was a shame about that that, that spot that you said thinking about him walking across the ladders. And I think, actually, to be fair to him, I think Bubba's a bit of a cunt, but I think Bubba saves that spot at the end by when Jeff then climbs up the ladder and then Bubba takes the ladder and walks across the ring with it so that Jeff can then let go and have the momentum, which allows Edge to then spear him. So I think kudos to Bubba Ray in that instance. But yeah, it's amazing. I do find the end of the match to be a little bit anticlimactic, though. The, the, the climb up it's not really clear what's happening and i find the end of the match to be a bit anticlimactic but otherwise i think it's absolute gold this match on that bit with Bubba Ray Dudley i think that's how we plan to do it oh really but i don't know for definite but jeff definitely seems to deliberately wedge his feet into the ladder mm. so that dudley just so the Bubba can do it because otherwise it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do because his feet are stuck and yeah there's that moment where the the ladder is quite a long way away from jeff's at a kind of i don't know 45 degree angle he's not like straight anymore and you're like he could come face first down here so i, I assume that that's how they plan to do the spot mm. fine fuck bubbery <laughs> Well, it's funny, Tom, because um, I, I know, like you said, you know, you got a little bit annoyed earlier when, um, you know, I, I got to talk about the main event before you and you thought you'd have nothing left to say. <laughs> and I literally do have practically fuck all to say after that, because oh, I'm literally going through my notes and I was like, yep, yeah, they mentioned that they mentioned that. So I'm going to do my very best to try and give you something a little bit different than straight away. Yeah, th- this was a fantastic match. And what I found interesting is it was a hell of a lot better than I expected, actually. And I remember it being great. And it was still still better than I thought. So that was certainly a tick in, in you know, the plus column. You know, you mentioned there, Tom, as well, about the spot with, you know, um, Bubba powerbombing Jeff onto Edge through the table. I think Edge, I'm sure he said in an interview somewhere that he hurt his teeth or, he, you know, he did something to his teeth at that point or he needed, like, dental work or something afterwards. So, ugh, yeah, I could see why that would be a bad spot. I know, again, I remember watching on a Hardy's documentary on VHS <laughs> many, many moons ago. Matt was talking about a spot which practically goes unnoticed but I did manage to track it down. Bubba sort of tips a ladder over and hits Matt in the head with it. He does it once yeah. kind of softly, but then he fucking does it again. And like the sound that it makes on the second time, ugh. and Matt basically, he thought that he lost his year. <laughs> <laughs> and you can see him grab his face, you know, to, and, and like look down to check that his ear is still hanging on his head. And that was just a tiny thing that like, you know, they went through in that. So it's crazy that stuff like that doesn't get noticed. But I, I did have a good chuckle when JR did talk about Edge being jerked off the ladder. <laughs> that was quite funny. You know, Lita, uh, Rhino and Spike Dudley, they, they played their parts to perfection. I mean, you know, who, who'd have thought that, you know, their defining WrestleMania moments would be the 30, 60 seconds they all had to do their bit. You know, Rhino going back through the table. Awesome. Uh, you know, Lita taking the 3D. Awesome. Spike Dudley doing the, you know, the uh, Dudley dog through the table. Amazing. That, that chair shot to Spike Dudley. Jesus Christ. Christ, she deserved that fucking 3D for that. Uh, <laughs> that was just, oh, goes through me. But yeah, hates women, doesn't he, Tinky? He just hates women. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's undeniable by now. <laughs> <laughs> she, she fucking deserved that. That was a 
sick cheer shot. I mean, come on. He, yeah. was, he was telling me in the break how much he loves Jimmy Snooker, in fairness. Oh, no, really? Yeah. You are such a dick. Then the last two quick things from me. Christian has done it again. Going over the fucking top rope to the floor. I, oh, I wince every time he does it. It just seems the most dangerous thing. He just shouldn't do it. I hate it. Matt and Bubba going through those tables at the end. Oh, my god and you know yeah again you know what else can i say about that spear um you know that, that you guys haven't already that that is you know when when you do think wrestling and iconic images there's a reason that's there i mean shit loads of flash bulbs going off as soon as that was happening you know it was absolutely incredible and i enjoyed the uh the triangle ladder match uh during wrestlemania 16 that, that we talked about and i know i know you again ben you said that you thought that it had aged and this again like i said it, it really impressed me how yeah this was better than i remembered so phenomenal work by all of them yep this was very close to being my match of the night as well but just missed out so we move on footage of the wf access including jr's barbecue stand the xfl training stand the make-a-wish stand hall of fame kane talking in his mask like a real person what's that about superstar (laughs) signings matches with jobbers best hair is on a guy from liverpool who talks briefly to the camera and the commentary stand as well i'm not gonna add any context that's what they what we had for wf access howard finkel then announces a new attendance record for any event at the astrodome of 67,925 why do people care don't know <laughs> then bobby heenan and gene oakland come from the back to do play by play and color commentary for the gimmick battle royal ahead of us then we get the gimmick battle royal it's a th- nearly four minute match which in- includes the bushwhackers duke Drossi, iron sheik earthquake the goon doink the clown kamala kimchi repo man jim Cornette. Nikolai Volkov, Michael Hayes, One Man Gang, The Gobbledygooker, Tugboat, Hillbilly Jim, Brother Love, and Sergeant Slaughter. Look, this is obviously silly, not obviously rubbish, and that's fine because it's three and it's not even four minutes. It's not even four minutes long. And we've just had TLC2, and we've just had Vince versus Shane, and the crowd are knackered. And rather than give them another match where they'd have to get up and pop for big spots and big moments they say you know what we're just going to wheel out some nostalgia for those of you who quite like seeing old acts come back you can watch them come out all be introduced and have a pop that way completely different type of um, emotion for those who don't care you can go and have a piss you can go get yourself a beer it does not matter Mm. i think this is absolutely the right thing to be put in this spot at this point in time i think anybody who disagrees is wrong matt all right (laughs) (laughs) just give me another right to censor type match you know just do something like that again it's why why does it hurt you so much you it's four minutes come on this is just a prime example of you know you can't have everything in life you know (laughs) you really why why can't you you, because you can't, because you get stuck with the gimmick battle royal. Just when you think things are perfect and you found the one, you get the gimmick battle royal. It just, I mean, it dated the show. Like, you know, I mean, it really did, you know, like, and it really did hammer home. I mean, how far, you know, things had moved on. And yeah, it's just awful. Like, I, I know it was quick. You know, the entrances probably took most of the time and everything. I'll give them that little bit of credit. Pretty much the second they all got in the ring, they pretty much fucked off straight away. But why even bother with that? Like I said, just give me another right to center type thing, you know, for, for people who probably could have done with the airtime. Nah, it d- d- doesn't wash with me that, that it was that quick. This was a blight on what could have been a perfect show. Not acceptable that it was there. I, th- I actually think that this could have been better. So the criticism I have of it is not that it's there. I think it's perfectly right that it's there. They needed something here that didn't matter, right? They needed something that didn't matter. And they needed something actually that wasn't like, yeah, it was more, 
yeah you know it was just a bit less intense you know it was just a bit of like fluff they needed something here but i don't think they got the people they hoped they would get for it i think there are lots of people that they I, and i can't off the top of my head i can't think of exactly who i'm thinking about now but i look at the group and i'm like it's not really representative of some of the shit that they did in the past like it wasn't that long before this that the henry godwin mark canterbury was still in the in the company henry godwin would have been the kind of person i'm expecting to see here not Jim Cornette and Love, who weren't wrestlers. You know what I mean? I, I wonder if they thought they were going to get some of the WCW, old WCW people in. I wonder if they thought they were going to be able to get a Mr. Perfect in there and a Brutus the Barber Beefcake and a Jim Virgil Duggan, and like Jim Duggan. Yeah, stuff like that. Because there's a real... It's what I've always found about the, the people. is a really weird cross-section of talent because you've got like Hillbilly Jim and then you've got the goon who I believe... I don't know anything about the goon, but I believe he was like 95. I think 96. Six, and he 26. was played by Bill Irwin, who was had been around for quite a long time. He worked for World Class and various other places. Yeah, and then you've got like Iron Sheik, and then you you know what I mean it's a, it's a real weird kind of cross section yeah, of, of of people. I think you're probably right, but I, I'm with Tinky. I think this is perfect, perfectly placed. Again, it's four minutes. It's not taking up too much of the time. The one criticism that I do have about it is I think Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan are absolutely rubbish on commentary. And I no, guess no. if you think about this in that context, Mean Gene is not a commentator. He never has been, and Bobby Heenan has been phoning it in horrendously as part of a three-man announced team where all he needs to do every now and again is chuck in the odd one-liner if he feels like it. So it's not a surprise that they're so awful. There's context behind it, but they are bloody awful. Now, what I will say about it is that Earthquake still looks exactly the same. When, uh, he was 16 when this match happened. Earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> what is what I find really funny is that Nikolai Volkov, Tugboat, and Hillbilly Jim all look exactly the same as they did in their quote-unquote primes, which makes you think they must have looked bloody awful comparatively back in their primes. They got the old Arn Anderson jeans, aren't they? I love the Iron Cheek wins basically because he is the only is the only one who probably can't take a bump over the top rope, so by default he has to win. Yeah, I, I think this is really fun. Like you said, Tinky, piss match. Go have a little leak. Treat yourself to a little piss, have yourself a little beer, go to the merch stand, and then you're not going to miss anything important, anything that matters. The other thing that makes me think they didn't get the people they wanted to get is there's a lot of people from The Office here. So yeah. Bruce Pritchard, obviously, Jim Cornette, both from The Office, Sergeant Slaughter, Slaughter. Harvey yeah, Whippleman, Kim Chi, who's Brooklyn Brawler, all of them, Michael Hayes and another one, yeah, they're all from The Office. And you're like, come on, guys. You Clearly, not a lot of people were willing to embarrass themselves in this match, but it, it's a shame because that was the whole point, is you're going to get in all the crappy gimmicks that you've got from the past. They could have even got some of the guys that were working for the company at the time who weren't on the show to redo some of their old gimmicks like just incredible was on the was, was on the roster aldo this time montoya, yeah. bring him in as aldo montoya no problem get get x-pac dressed up as one two three kid again that's what i think this match was supposed to be mm. and it never really amounted to it so i actually rather than not happy that it that it happened i'm a, i'm not happy that it wasn't as good as i think it could have been there was a there was i think a different vision for this than, than what you eventually got here thinking about it if they were to do a gimmick battle royal today it would be rubbish because yeah. i'm just looking at, i'm looking at the 2013 roster so i reckon you could maybe go the problem is a lot of them are still there as well yeah and plus the, i think the other problem is they had an andre the giant battle royal uh, at wrestlemania 30 so 10 years ago that would just be that more battle royal again <laughs> yeah i guess so yeah right so basically we've seen all the triple h undertaker stuff there's only one more thing i want to talk about 
we know what it is. It's the My Way hype video for Austin versus The Rock. We'd done the main event already, but it was well worth leaving this until the very end because this was the second moment on the show where I got goosebumps mm. immediately. The minute the video started and the, and My Way started playing, I was like, oh, wow, here we are. This is it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I thought before I started watching that, I was going to be like, this is just, this is just something that people think is great, but it's actually just a, 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 a run of the mill kind of video package. Oh, it's not. This is special. This is absolutely special. And it's special because the feud was so good. Some of the build-up wasn't great, but specifically their face-to-face interview with Jim Ross is just so good. And you're like, why aren't you capable of, why don't you do this ever again? This is so good. And it's not out of the realm of normalcy to do something like this. Like it's something you'd get, I'm sure UFC type stuff do it. I'm sure, you know, football. I've seen football interviews where they have two people from two different teams sat there, you know, doing a similar thing. This is so run of the mill you should do this again it's brilliant and it really made a major difference to this feud and yeah this video package is great and the timing of it is perfect the way the video package is edited together with the song my way by limp biscuit it's just amazing when it kicks back in and it's like one day you'll see things my way and it's just like them like hitting each other with stunners and fucking rock bottoms and people's elbows it's just perfect and um and also i've got to give a shout because another close contender i couldn't give it to it because uh it's not actually on the show it's seen on the show but it's not it doesn't take place on the show are austin's incredibly tiny shorts he's wearing during that interview if you ever actually watch it they are extraordinary tight denim shorts they are tight they're like hot pants outrageous with the great man before i throw to matt i will just say that my mvp of the night is the person who put the video package together yep perfect that's fair. I'm a big, as I've said earlier, I'm a big fan of Lip Biscuit, and I generally do listen to this stuff on a regular basis. I have purposely avoided listening to My Way, and it is on many playlists I have. If it's come up, I've skipped it, and I've purposely done it because I wanted to hold back until I got to see the show again. And my God, it, it, it literally, you know, I had goosebumps watching it. it. It's just incredible. It's such a good video package. Like you said, Tom, it's edited fantastically. It's just such a perfect song for it. Um, And yeah, you know, again, you said, Ben, it, as, as a rivalry, it wasn't perfect. There were things that it didn't need, cough, Deborah. But just overall, it was amazing. What, what else can I say? Just, you know, one of the best rivalries, one of the perfect music packages fucking brilliant yeah lovely what a good way to to sum everything up for this wrestlemania 17 show so all we've got left to do now is to give our overall thoughts our score at 10 and anything else we want to wrap up tom let's start with you so my overall thoughts that this is a tremendous show it is it is absolutely brilliant i am really torn as a as to whether or not i think this is the best wrestlemania of all time because i love 19 and i love 30 as well i think they're both very fine i think 17 is probably better than 19 i think it's very close between this and 30 in terms of my overall score i think i'm going to give this a nine this is as close to a 10 as i'm ever going to get and i don't know i don't know if a 10 star event pay-per-view has happened or has the capability to happen so i'm giving this a strong nine mvp perry satin's hat and match the night the mcmahon versus mcmahon match matt this is an interesting one to to certainly score but i'll go with that my, my mvp of the night first which i was very tempted to go with stone cold steve austin but because of the whole heel thing and everything afterwards 
I'm going to give it to The Rock um, for just being the best damn baby face he possibly could have been. Um, so The Rock certainly gets my MVP of the night. Uh, Stone Cold and The Rock is also my match of the night. I just, by the time the show ended, that, that was all I could think about. And it, like, like I said earlier, you know, uh, during the show, that this is my favourite WWE Championship match of all time. It, it, it hasn't been bettered, in my opinion. Hopefully one day it will be, but this was the pinnacle. As for the overall number of the show, my personal opinion, if you're going to give a 10, you've got to say the show was perfect. And as much as I love this show, and it was phenomenal, and it is the best WrestleMania so far, certainly in terms of the ones that we've covered, whether or not it gets better later remains to be seen. I can't say it was perfect, so I'm going to go with a 9. 9 out of 10. Mildly disappointed that you didn't give us the first 10 that anyone's given us, Matt just then because I thought you might do if I thought the main event was as good as you think it is I would have given this show a 10 and and it misses out on a 10 because of the Steve Austin heel turn that's why it misses out on a 10 if that hadn't happened this would be a 10 for me it's a stupendously good show it's just so good the TLC2 match Austin Rock match Vince versus Shane Undertaker versus Triple H all are great Plus you've got Angle Benoit. Plus you've got the excellent three-way hardcore, hardcore match, which is just absolute pure fun. And, and and it's that variety. All the way through the show, you're asked to look at something different. It's why I think the gimmick battle royal works so well, because it's not like they bring you down like they give you a crappy match that nobody cares about. They give you a match that lots of people actually do care about, but they care about it in a completely different way to everything else they've seen so far. So they're not burnt out when they get to the next thing and then the next thing, which usually WWE would struggle with. They'd struggle to find something that was different enough that could still maintain interest but not burn everybody out they just aren't very good at that in general and here they absolutely nail it it's a great great show the three main matches are great i'm going to give my match tonight to the tlc2 just to spread the wealth of um, uh, of match nights because i did think you know i just think it's stunning i think it's miles i think it is what was the thing that steven said oh i can't remember what light years light light years yeah light years better than the one from the previous year like just just in a different world of better just absolutely phenomenal but i think on top of all that all of it is made better by the way this place looks it just looks phenomenal the stage looks amazing the the whole stadium just looks magnificent it's brilliant it's a brilliant show it may very well end up being my favorite wrestlemania of all time it it was going into this but i kind of decided that that's kind of on hold again until we get through the whole series but certainly at the moment this is my best wrestlemania of the ones we've covered to this point in the series it's also the top rated pay-per-view we've ever watched now as a consequence Mm. of the of the ratings we've just given it nothing else has managed an average of nine and i thought it was going to go higher because i thought matt you were going to give it a 10 but you didn't so it's been an epic night and we are at the end so uh, tom thank you for your contributions thank you glenn takes the gun <laughs> and matt thank you for your joining us as well thank you gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure to delve right back into my childhood loved it good stuff we we've had entrance musics yes entrance musics creed <laughs> doing china's entrance music jamiroquois hat test test this is a test missy elliott lady marmalade and even motet but as much as i hate to say it there's really only one song that can play us out today you special, special you do